0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Football Without Borders podcast. I am your host Eddie. You can find me at Di Umana, also on at FBWOB, which is our podcast account. And ladies and gentlemen, today we are joined by Richard Khan. And I have to say, this man, when you see his tweets, you know he tweets from the heart. And he, he definitely loves Manchester United. He's also on the Red Voices podcast. Richard, welcome to Football Without Borders. How you doing? Oh, not too bad. How are you? Ah, man, I'm doing swell. I'm doing swell. Very excited to have this conversation with you.
1: Yeah, it's going to be good. I, I, I rage tweet, is what you were saying, basically.
2: <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I,
1: post-match, I post I match rage tweet. Yeah. I think that's, that's what he is.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny because. I, there, there's this aspect of when you see someone's tweets and you read it in your own head and you kind of come up with this voice of how it sounds and then it's like is there speaking to you now because and even actually hearing you on the red voices because it just gives a whole different perspective when I'm reading your tweets now because it's like yeah okay Richard's ra- rage tweeted but I mean it's like <laughs> I hear it in your voice is just it's totally different now.
1: I remember when I did the uh, did the first podcast and I got loads of people. Kinda of surprised at how I sounded because I had a completely different impression of me. It's like you, you you follow people and you speak to people on Twitter, you know, every day or you know every week for you know for years in the end, and you have an impression of what they're like, and then you actually speak to them or you meet them, and you just get a bit blown away because they're not quite how you imagined
0: yeah i know so so it's like it's like yeah rich is rich is rage tweeting, but i mean in in some way still sounds calm like that's my impression (laughs) i'll
1: hide it well then say what
0: i'll
1: hide it well then
0: yeah 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 like i Like, when I first heard you on the Red Voices, I was thinking to myself, like, man, what would this man be like at a pub? Because, like, I could hear other people would just be like, it sounded like just pure rage, but the rich would just be like, oh, come on. (laughs) Like, you know. (laughs) I'd be be raging with
1: a smile in the pub. Yeah. (laughs) And a pint. and, And a pint. Several pints. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, uh, just to get to, I mean, shoot what What was your viewpoint on today's match? Because the way it started, everyone you could tell it was a collective groan, and yeah, and then finally, unite, uh, Mission were able to pull it together, and uh, yeah, quite a quite there's, a comeback.
1: There's 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 kind of two two ways of looking at this game. I think you know one of it is. That we saw, for I think for the first time in a long time, United doing United, and that that build-up of pressure at the end of a game when they when they're behind and um, turning it around, kind of thing we saw, you know, perhaps monthly or bi-monthly under under Fergie, but something we haven't necessarily seen a great deal since then. But the other, but the flip side of the coin is that, you know, I mean, it, it, my perspective is I come away from that game feeling a certain that. Mourinho isn't the man for the job as as they did before it because it almost seemed like for 70 minutes they played in the way that we've seen this United team play this season and to a degree for quite a lot towards the end of last season for 70 minutes and then essentially we took the shackles off because we had to because when there's no choice for 2 all down there wasn't any any point in trying to keep shape or um or, or keeping players back and we basically just Flew, you know, threw off the shackles and and just let players, let our attacking players do the thing, um, and, and it worked. And it, it just a reminder. There's a lot. There's been a lot of talk on social media recently about how poor the players are. And I think I think when, when a team's been playing badly for a long time, and particular players have been struggling under a coach, you forget the quality they've got. And I think the same thing yes. happened Mourinho's third season at Chelsea. When he was at Chelsea, you know, the fans were starting to doubt. The quality of Hazard and Fabregas and Costa and these guys who who you know objectively from the outside we know are brilliant players they perhaps weren't playing to that standard then but that was as much a result of their environment as anything else and I think we have just had a glimpse with the last twenty minutes of what our what our attacking players particularly can do if you just let them let them off the leash a bit let them attack and just commit a few more players forward because the 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 strange conflict for me is that if we accept that we don't have a world-class defence, we don't have great defenders, but we definitely do have some quality in it going forward. And we know that because some those players have performed well, either under a different coach or a different club or whatever at high standard. So why do we play a system that that essentially puts a large amount of pressure on the back four? Um, Because the result is what happened today, particularly when confidence is low, you know, they're not, they're not good enough. To, we're not good enough to rely on that back four to defend for sixty percent of the game, and then try and break. So I just came out of it, and again, hearing Mourinho afters as well, um, and the kind of things he says, um, as if he, he he doesn't deserve to be under pressure, and it's not fair, and it's just this this thing that he can't help, but it's completely unreasonable. And I think Stephen Maneman spoke afterwards on BT Sport in the UK, and I think it's I think there's a, a clip of the. The video on Twitter, and he just basically said that you know, looking looking at this from the outside, 70 minutes of that game was absolutely appalling, really, really, desperately appalling against a really bad team. And so much we've seen this season has also been really appalling as well. So whilst it's great we turned it around, he said, as soon as you play anybody good, you can they're going to be out of sight before you even start, even if you react like that in the 60th, 70th minute. He said, this is not a good team, and. I think it was just a reminder, and then, and then Rio Ferdinand spoke as well, and he essentially said the same thing. He said he can't see anything in this team to suggest that it's going to really um, explode from here. Um. So yeah, it's kind of conflict. It's it's you know it, you, there's definitely a buzz when your team come back, and I think I scared scared a few people in the household when we scored second and third yeah. goals. But you, 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 you I know that feeling. You can't, you can't, you, <clears throat> absolutely yeah, and you come what you come away with that buzz, but then. In in the cold light of day, you look at the fixtures we've got now and you look at the performance as a whole and you just think, you know what, I don't think a lot's changed there and it almost proves to me what I thought before, um, which was that I don't think it can work out uh, this season at all.
0: Yeah, there's been so much talk. I mean, earlier I was tweeting about how people say it's Mourinho's fault, it's the player's fault, it's the Boar's fault, it's Ed's fault. I mean, all these pointing fingers and I think one of the interesting things, especially when it gets to people talking about the players, is that you see. I think for me, I sort of reached my tipping point in terms of the criticism that the players got because, I'll, out of nowhere, I see Paul Ins talking about how players should be grateful playing for the shirt, and I'm like, I mean, I, I know you've had some, your, one of your, you know, you've had some questionable no, your moments too, Paul. So mm-hmm. yes. I, I think to me it was just – even Gary Neville, it's just all this cheap point scoring that I, I just feel it's it's not fair to the players because they're the ones that are going through it, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: They're yeah. the ones that – and people say, oh, well, they're not playing for the shirt and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, for these players, I mean, it, it's ultimately it's about their careers. We can talk about the yeah. shirt. We can talk about the badge. We can talk about honor, professional pride, all those type of things. At the end of the day, they're in an environment where it's not conducive to them being at their best, and yeah. to try and have all these criticisms because it's it's just when they the the way they're playing is dysfunctional. They're struggling to figure out how to keep it together, especially attacking wise. I mean, it's just like really. I think.
1: I think as you say people seem to think about players in very binary terms.
2: Yeah.
1: If they're playing really well and they'll be scoring goals and kissing the badge and, you know, they love the club and then a few weeks later, if, if things are going badly, they'll they'll be accused of not trying or not caring or whatever else. You know, I, I go through that squad. I don't believe they don't care. I don't believe any of them don't care. I don't right. believe that, that. I don't believe they're not trying. And I, I think people really, really underestimate the impact that a, a negative
2: work yeah. environment
1: on a, on a day to day basis can
2: have yeah.
1: confidence and um and body language and just you you could see in the first seventy minutes they were scared of doing anything. You know, even five yard passes, they weren't they weren't passing it firm, they weren't passing it directly. It was all it was all they were playing scared. They weren't playing because they don't care. They were playing because everything they did, they were terrified of making a mistake. And that's to a degree, I think, the consequence of being playing in a, or being in a work environment and being in a regime where different players are regularly dropped for a single poor performance or, you know, essentially chucked under a bus after the game by Mourinho. Um, and, and uh, over two and a half years, he, he's at the point where he's done that to so many members of the squad that I, j- I just don't think there's that, there's a great deal of love or, belief for him and I don't think the players are enjoying going to work and it's it's so easy for people to sit home in their living rooms and say this guy isn't playing because he's not trying or whatever else but if you're if you're in a desperately unhappy work environment and you're also frightened of the consequences of everything you do and you don't know if you'll be playing next week if you play badly you don't know you don't know what's going to happen to you and you know we've got guys like you know Bayou was ostracized last year it seems for essentially being ill on a match day. Um, Fred, Fred's been disappeared since he scored against Wolves, despite kind of being the only midfielder we've got, who's very mobile and, and tries to move the ball really quickly through the midfield. Um, and it's kind of happened to so many of them now that they're, they're at the point where there must be only a small core of players who feel that Mourinho has total trust in them. Um, you know, Lukaku never gets dropped. Matic will play um, every game if he's fit or around, even if he doesn't really deserve it. I mean, neither of those guys have been playing well, but there's never any consequences for it. Um, and if you just you're in that environment where every, different people are treated differently, um, it must be incredibly it must it must be inc- incredibly depressing f- for them. And then you saw we don't get a glimpse into training, but you kind of saw the way that Mourinho. Put Pogba down after he hit that, mis- that, that misunderstanding about the
0: oh man the,
2: Insta-
0: the Instagram
1: post. and oh. He knew the cameras were there as well. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. That wasn't a mistake. He knew the cameras were there for yep. that one day a week, one day a month. So he did that to put deliberately put Pogba publicly in his place, and he screwed up. Yeah. And yet, as far as we understand it, he made the guy the guy um, apologize who told him about the the Instagram post. But he didn't apologise himself. Yeah. But if you if, if you belittle players like that, particularly in public, but any, anywhere else, and they feel that that belittlement is unjust, you're just going to lose them. And all of this all of this comes together. And I think on top of that, there's there is a there's there's clearly an issue with coaching and with the shape of the team and the way ideas are put across and that sort of thing. If you put all those things together, then what we're seeing from United for the majority of the time is what you get. And I don't believe it's got anything to do with not wanting to not wanting to to play, not wanting to play for United. You've got guys like Martial, you know, since we asked to, to leave the club in the, the in the summer, and suddenly, you know, as far as a lot of fans are concerned, he's the big bad wolf. But if you were Martial in his position, he was he was playing really well on the left wing, having a really good run, he's scored three consecutive games, playing his best football since his first season. And we just buy Sanchez, and Sanchez is immediately stuck on stuck in Martial's position. Martial's sent out to the right has a bad game. He's dropped. And if you if you feel that you were giving your best and you were doing well, and then somebody's arbitrarily come in and taken your place, and you've essentially been ostracised and you've done nothing wrong, how are you going to feel? Right. You know, particularly when the guy that's been put in your place doesn't even play well. Right. So you can understand from his perspective that he's, he, he's playing, uh, he, you know, he, he's, he's suddenly got a very negative work environment. And after six months of that, and at 22, without having improved really in the two years, that he's been under Mourinho, you can understand why he might want to leave and he hasn't got to the world cup. And it's not because he hates United, right? It's because he, he just needs to go, to go somewhere else to play, right. to play football and, and, and be happier. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, uh, the same applies for Pogba. I think you know. I think all this stuff about Pogba—it's th- only a hunch. I can't, you know, I may be proved horribly wrong. But my my feeling is, if Mourinho went, it wouldn't surprise me if he signed a new contract within the next within the following two or three months. I um,
0: mean, shoot, especially if someone like Zidane comes in. Who, I, from what I see, I don't see I don't see any issues with between Pogba and Zidane appearing. You know what I'm saying?
1: No, I think he'd love that, wouldn't he?
0: Oh, sorry, I didn't quite hear you.
1: I think I think he'd really. <clears throat> I, sorry, I said I think he'd love that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I he'd, be
1: really, but he'd be energized for that, wouldn't he? I think.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, someone uh, I'm trying to remember who, but someone on a that was on a previous podcast made the point that when Pogba came back, I mean, he, it, it's a, it's a sense of a homecoming because you, you got Lingard there, you got Pereira there, you got players that he's when he was in the academy. These are the players that are with him. And yeah. he's seen Rashford as well, so it's the type of thing where it, he's been in Manchester before. It's not like he's going to a whole new environment, and it's something that he he enjoys he enjoys being in Manchester. So, it's for him to be in a position where he wants out, I mean, for me, I, that that that's alarm bells ringing. Well, he's our best player,
1: isn't he? I mean, I, I, you you. I can understand arguments that he's inconsistent, and at times he has definitely been inconsistent. Sure, um, but I think I think I think perceptions of him become fixed, and it, it's largely because of how Jose is. You know, J- Jose is divisive, and when things aren't aren't working, he tends to scapegoat the bigger names, the bigger profile players. Um, it's what he does. You know, he did it at Chelsea with. Hazard and Costa and Fabregas. Well, certainly what he's done since Real anyway, and he did it at Real. Um, essentially, you know, Casillas was his big scapegoat, but he ultimately fell out with Ramos and Ronaldo and Pepe and really all the Spanish players in that squad because, because it seems that he, he, he now feels the need to go into a changing room. And if things aren't quite working, assert him as the, as the, the biggest ego in that, in that changing room. And if you try and usurp him, then you're, you're in trouble. Um, and if you think back to the Spurs game uh, last January where United lost 2-0 considered right at the start and were generally absolutely awful. And you know that was kind of the genesis of his fallout with Pogba and you could see him having to go in on the sideline. But if you watch that game again, the the, the entirety of the United team was abject. Matic was every bit as abject as, as Pogba was. Um and, and Pogba just needed sorry Mourinho just needed something to deflect from the fact that United were struggling right um and this this is kind of this is kind of what he does um and he's very good at manipulating fan bases into um into believing that those those guys are at the root of the ills of the club I mean you know we've seen the we've seen the pictures of the Chelsea fans with the big uh with the big sign up calling Fabregas, Costa, and Hazard rats.
0: Um, I mean, isn't that something? You're calling your fellow human beings rats? What? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, you know, football football brings these emotions. It's but, something but Mourinho, else. It is, but Mourinho is a master at at because because he's become a cult figure, not just at United, but he's been a cult figure really since his time at Chelsea and and there are a lot of people who I think United and I imagine the same at Chelsea when he went back to Chelsea when he came to United he absolutely bought in bought into him with their heart and soul they absolutely needed Mourinho to be the answer to everything and they thought that this incredible world-class manager was going to come in and sort everything out and that was fixed. And whilst the first season wasn't great, United won their two trophies, which was, you know, certainly I, I can't say that's not a significant achievement. And it, it, it achieved United's goals for that season, which was to get back in the Champions League as well. But f- for me, it's all been a bit artificial since then. But but it, it it staggers me that you still we still have a very large core of the fan base who are not willing to accept that Mourinho is if not the biggest problem at the club at the moment, but a big problem. And, and then the, the main source of the dysfunction within the dressing room and the team. And it was, I got harking back to that Steven Mamanaman interview as well. You know, it's really interesting because he was saying what everybody from the outside can see, which is that, which is that there's nothing about this team really that says that Mourinho is doing a good job this season right now right he, he said you know this this team is not good enough to to finish top four maybe not even top six and it's playing incredibly badly and it's come back against possibly the worst team in the Premier League just but but this team's miles off and he said you know Jose Mourinho is saying oh it's not fair I'm getting all this criticism
2: criticizing me for,
1: yeah and criticizing me for Brexit and <laughs> All these other things, and it's 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 not. It's because it's because he's he earns twelve million pounds a year and has had the seg- second largest um, transfer budget in world football in the last three years, managing one of the three one of one of the three biggest clubs in the world, and they're tenth or whatever we are now. T- I don't know if we're still tenth. I haven't even looked at the table, but yeah, tenth, I think he it's said,
0: eighth now. It's, actually, uh, is that? And he,
1: he said I'll it check. absolutely staggers me. It staggers me that he can or Manaman said it staggers me that he can sit there and say that when objectively, what he's doing this season isn't even close to good enough for what he should you know where that team should be for the investment that's been put into it. And I've made the point quite a few times on social media, if that was Klopp, or if that was uh, Guardiola or Pochettino or any of the uh, you know Uniteds supposed rivals in this same position the same people would be absolutely damning of their management.
0: Oh, for because sure.
1: absolutely damning because none of the signs that none of the things that we need, that Marina needs to be achieving are being achieved. So, uh, or certainly what, what's needed at United, the football is bad, largely bad, really bad. Like I'm almost unwatchably bad at the moment for most of the time. It's just appalling. He's not, he's not developing young players. Um, you know he's in contrast to that or complete conflict to that i think he's the way he's used scott mctominay who is a guy who clearly really works hard he's he's given his best but he's not he's not a united level player i don't even think he's close to being a united level player at the moment and he's basically just putting him in these positions He, he first used him to to punish pogba um and now it just seems like he's moving him around, using his pawn to, to punish other players. Yeah, today was rough is,
0: for him. Oh, man. It, it
1: was. Ooh. But it's not surprising, is it? He said afterwards, he, Mourinho said afterwards, that, that, that Tomine was frightened. He was playing scared. But what, what do you expect? He put him at centre-back against West Ham, where he's never played before, and he got basically roasted. He stuck him in today in a game where we didn't need two defensive midfielders. He had a nightmare moving back to centre back. He was a nightmare there as well, and he has to take him off.
2: That yeah, doesn't help yeah.
1: Scott McTominay, and he's not—he's—he's he's not doing that to develop a young player. He's doing that to say, look, while I'm using young players, until I'm using him to punish all these other guys. So he's got. I look at that squad now, and I don't think there's a single player now cons- that that he has improved to any significant uh, any, by any significant amount over the last two and a bit years. I think Lingard had that that peak, didn't he? Like, uh, that period of two or three months where he was absolutely electric, and he's he's really settled down into just what he was before, which is you know fairly nondescript, works hard, but do, doesn't really score very much or do anything very much. Um, Lukaku improved, but again, he's gone back into a bit of a slump. You know who is there? There's the, Rashford. You could argue that Rashford and Martial are worse than they were two years ago. Um, so he's not achieving that. So he's not achieving the football. He's not achieving the um, sort of kind of development of young players and he's not achieving results. So wh- what is he doing, really? What What is he bringing to us at the moment? Um, and, and the only answer seems to be, yeah, but he's not the biggest problem at the club. That's that's not the point. He's still right. a big problem at the club. Yeah, that's
0: another thing things- that gets me, yeah.
1: Now, go on. I was, I was just going to say, each of those things, the problems at the club, are uh, that they're all important but you don't not act on one because there are other things that need to be improved as well
0: yeah it's just it's, it's very odd when whether it's people in the media pundits or fans talking about oh well there's ed woodward and the glazers and i'm like look they've been there since 2005 like <laughs> what like we we fans have tried to protest Fans have tried to do things when the commercial side is doing well, how are you really going to oust these folks? And I gone sorry. And to me, it's it's a very interesting thing to to try and point to that and be like, well, he's not the biggest problem at the club. It's like, but this has been going on since two thousand five. So it's like, what? Why are we bringing this up as if this is new news?
1: I think I think people bring it up because results are bad, and that's you know it's it's. I think that's sad. I think it was a shame, you know, at the time there was a lot of um, momentum behind protests and the green and gold and uh, whatever else, but it, it, it was just clear it wasn't going to work. Uh, you know, the, the Glazers are still an enormous problem for United. Sure. Um, I mean, they we're looking at the most recent accounts. Uh, oh yeah,
0: I saw I that the, too. The
1: club, I think the club paid out 28 million pounds in, In interest on the outstanding debt, Um, I think it was something like twenty-three million pounds in dividends to the shareholders, which is largely, I think, ninety-three percent the Glazers. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other fees paid out in um, kind of management fees and things, and I think it came to sort of kind of about eighty million pounds left the club as a result of the 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 Glazer ownership. And then you have to look at Edward Ward, who is is a guy who is clearly an exceptional financial man, right? an exceptional banker, but he's, he, he's, he's a very poor, uh, essentially he's trying to play both financial commercial director and director of football, yep. except that he doesn't, he doesn't have the football knowledge. And so what you have is a guy who, there's, there's no long-term strategy at the club. It's all yep. very, uh, make it up as you go along. And yep. what, what the, the thing, the, the, the thing where he, falls down or fell down particularly this summer is that I mean I I lost Mourinho lost me with the severe ties last year I think really okay Um, that that was they were just such a anathema to what I think you know I thought United should be approaching these games and and the things he said after as well right but the end of the season was really very poor wasn't it and I think there was an element in in Edward's mind that Mourinho had been given eight players to that point, he'd spent about three hundred million pounds, and he wasn't getting performances out of any of those guys, uh, or really any of those guys. Sanchez was desperate, probably struggling with Pogba. Um, he didn't really want, like either his centre backs. Um, he'd sold Mkhitaryan, um, and Lukaku was, you know, had a decent season but was a bit hit and miss as well. And I, right. I can understand it from I can understand from Wardle's perspective thinking, you know, what the football's bad he's not got performances out of all these other guys and now he's asking me to buy these other guys who are 29 years old they're going to cost me 65 70 million euros each or pounds each and he might not be here next year and we're going to be stuck with all these 29 30 year olds on massive wages who the next manager doesn't want and can't get anything out of or Mourinho won't be able to get anything out of them and so he he clearly didn't want to spend that money and the problem the problem is if he'd lost faith in Mourinho to that degree he should he should have sacked him in the summer
0: exactly because my thing is that oh go ahead my bad
1: no I was was just going to say the moment he didn't do that yep and from the way that Mourinho behaved on tour which I thought was absolutely disgusting
0: man that was rough
1: you know know, he basically saying that the all of the players he had on tour were shit (laughs) you shouldn't pay and go and watch them um the season was going to be a disaster you know it, it was it was really really negative horrible stuff and the games didn't the games were pointless they didn't matter the performances were bad because he clearly wasn't even trying um, and at that point i think that woodward could have sacked him yep. and and he could have he could have got away with it he could have argued that it was for the best of the club yep but oh, by, yeah. not back, by not by not by not backing him for these players and then allowing him to be that negative in the summer and to go into the season with him in that kind of mood, you're basically guaranteeing what we've had, which is Mourinho's meltdown because it's exactly what happened in the second summer at Chelsea. Mm -hmm. Didn't get the players he wanted, had a big old shit fit about it. Went into the season. I think the David Carnero thing happened on the first day, which exacerbated everything. But he, he basically just brought the entire club down because he hadn't got what he wanted in the summer and that's what he's done that's what he's done at united so so woodward you know united need a buffer between woodward and the the manager for sure um, and and they need a longer term football structure but yeah, the, i think there are these are two different problems yep woodward clearly needs to be relieved of his footballing duties and it be given to somebody else but that doesn't Take away from the fact that Mourinho impacts what's happening on the pitch, oh, for and what sure. is happening on the pitch. What what is happening on the pitch is not good enough for the amount he's spent and the quality of players that he has. I mean, even so regardless the problem-
0: of the amount spent, I mean, just in terms of just getting players that are under your tutelage to play. And I think the other yeah. piece is for me, I I can see where Ed is coming from from a financial perspective. However, once you give someone an extension, especially to 2020, and then you're like, yeah. um, no. Yeah. I think it's just mixed messages where it's just like, "Ed, what do you want?"
1: Like That was hopeless. That was premature. It's hopelessly premature giving me a new deal. It was ridiculous.
0: It, it like it did like it wasn't it was unnecessary. And and then it just gave yeah. uh, Jose more ammunition as you saw today. He brought it up. You know, they asked him about it. He's like, well, I I didn't, I didn't demand to be extended to 2020. They wanted to do that. And that's the thing. It's like, Ed, Ed, you didn't have to do that. And I think it's just this thing of where Ed tries to do this thing of he, I I was talking about with a a Arsenal fan that we had on the podcast earlier this, uh, earlier this week, where it's like, he, he tries to play this game of not appearing to be, not wanting to look the bad guy, so he's like, okay, well, let me give Jose extension, and that way, no one can really say we didn't have faith, When if we ever decide to let him go, we can just say that he didn't perform to standards. At the same time, it's like, are you gonna back the guy or not? Because you gave him an extension. And so, yeah. it, it's this weird, weird, weird situation because, for me, that's one of my biggest criticisms of Ed, is that when he needs to make these critical decisions, and Fair enough that he's it, this. A lot of what's happening in football is new to him. At the same time, I mean, when you're the executive vice chairman, I mean, people are going to be looking at your decisions with that level of scrutiny because every yeah. time you make a decision or you decide not to make a decision, it has an impact. And it, to me, it's the type of thing where, I, like you yeah. said, I'm I still have my concerns even about where they talk about the sporting director that or, the, or who, however they want to phrase it because it's like okay you bring this guy in however I, my concern is that they're bringing a the guy in and it's just and expecting magic to happen you know what I mean yeah. now granted yeah. that there were changes made to the academy and things have, have with Nikki Butt coming in that that's helped out however it, going from the academy to the first team is a huge jump and there's still a lot there to sort out whoever comes in, and like you said, what's the there's still <laughs> there's just still so many questions like what what what's the long term going to be and i it, it i don't know it's just a weird situation so when I look at Ed and how he's performed, i think especially looking at his time with josie, i think he he definitely like he definitely i think had had the he could have definitely said, "Hey, Jose, I appreciate you bringing us a second. However, uh, th- this is just isn't this isn't this isn't working out. And I think that's where yeah. his thinking, his results-minded way of looking at things, I think, got in the way because he he might have been thinking to himself, "Well, he he did bring us a second. It's not like we were out of the Champions League because that's the criteria that he pretty much used for everyone else, Moyes yeah. and, and Van Hall." And he's looking yeah. at Jose like, well, we did get second, so uh, even though I'll decide not to give him as much money as before, um, we'll, we'll still hope that he can finish top four. It's like <sighs> okay, it's, diff- uh,
1: it's difficult. It's difficult for him because I, I, I can see there one of the problems with ha- having both a football and the commercial financial role is that he's he's torn between he's he's being pulled in different directions. Yes, so so. The, the consequence of his the, what we'd consider to be mistakes as he goes along, he's having to make decisions which are both financial and footballing, and sometimes those two things don't. Uh, the, the, the priorities in each are different for the same right. the same um, thing you're talking about. So, um, and also personally for him, he's now appointed three managers since yes. uh, Fergie left, and to to sack a third manager reflects on him as a, um, as, as a football, uh, administrator in, in right. Because he's the only managed. one that's really
0: doing it other than him and the board. You yeah. Know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and also there's obviously because he gave me a new contract, he's also got the, the financial implications of that. Now it, it's been, I, I think I had a, had a brief conversation with, uh, Paul Hurst from the times a few days ago. And he said that as he understands it, the, uh, the compensation would be 15 million pounds. Now in, in terms of in footballing terms, that's not a lot of money anymore. Right. Um, you know, compared to the loss of missing champions league, or, you know, you buy, that would buy you a championship footballer basically, wouldn't it? Right. Um, these, these days. So, but, but, but the same applied with the LVG at the point that he perhaps should have been sacked, which was that Christmas new year period when we lost three games in a row. And it, it was absolutely wretched. And essentially what he, what he did was he gambled on LVG still getting us in the top four because he didn't want to pay him off then. But, but ultimately it was, it was a, a, um, a false economy because it was pretty clear at that point. I think there was no way we, well, we weren't, we were unlikely to get top four. So he essentially threw away more money in not making the decision (laughs) than he did, than he did when he, you know, doing it at the time. Um, so, but, 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 but it's the nature of this, um, and the position he's in that he's going to be pulled in different directions all the time. And I don't think you can have one person in that position who's going to have those different forces acting on them. So if you put a director of football in there, if you put a proper footballing structure in there, you have got somebody at least whose only uh, consideration is the direction of the football team, the direction of the football club on the pitch and in the manager's room. Now, obviously woodward and glazers would control the budget but you've got a guy who's going to sit down with them and say look the football team needs this or the club needs this going forward right so at least you've got a voice even if you can't guarantee that that those decisions will actually be adopted 100 percent, but you've got somebody there who's got the, the requisite knowledge and experience who can right. actually say to woodward this is what we need to do and this is why we need to do it yeah and you've seen over you've seen over at arsenal that
0: yeah they, um, they've adapted they've, pretty quickly
1: very, very quickly, and you can see now that um, f- from there, I mean, they, they only had about fifty fifty million pounds to to um, strengthen in the summer, but because of the new structure they put in place, they were very aggressive in doing that, and they got the players they wanted in very quickly, and they got in a coach in Emery who is used to playing in that uh, sorry, used to working in that environment where he right doesn't, he doesn't sign the players, he's just there to coach the team, and he's taken over a club who you know expectations for them were quite low amongst their fans and he's he's really had to focus his job is to get the best out of the players it's nothing else and if he doesn't achieve that then he's failed if he does and and I think he's actually getting some some decent results but you could see that at the, the recruitment was very very heavily um very heavily led by um Sven Mislintat the guy was at It was you could see that he right. was he was going back and forth, taking players that he clearly had he, he he knew very well, and that he yep. clearly knew could get cheap and whatever. And uh, it's really worked for Arsenal. But, but the speed that they've done that is is really incredible. So yep. it wouldn't it wouldn't have to be an incredibly long term project to do it at United. It would just have to That's be a commitment thing. to do it <laughs> and and an acceptance from Edward Ward. And the glazers that they're willing to cede some power or some influence to this this new guy or the these new guys or whoever they're going to bring in right um, and I'm you know and, and they've been briefing to the to the press that um this is something that they're looking at, and they will be appointing a director of football or or a technical director or whatever, but we don't really know whether that person's going to have any power yet Yeah. Um, and what what form it'll take and that's that's the that's the real worry going forward mm-hmm. that we've got to take lessons we've got to take lessons from Mourinho we've had three incredibly um pragmatic coaches very very um conservative pragmatic coaches
2: mm.
1: and they none of them have worked and all of them have taken away from what united is or should be or has been Um, you know historically it has been they've taken away that identity that United used to have and we need to to sit down now and look further forward and think what do we want United to be in the future and it has to be the fans need some football to enjoy because it's just all I mean just losing watching United has become it's become something I do I do out of habit rather than something that I really really look forward to
2: Mm.
1: you know i can i can remember getting up you know even five six seven years ago getting up in the morning united were playing and really looking forward to it all day and buying a newspaper and reading as much about it as i could and you know we watch um sky sports in in this country and they you know they have a show that starts at 12 and they just talk about all the premier league games for three hours and you just you just immerse yourself in it and it's really exciting coming up to united games but it's not just the results that are that have gone for us in the last uh five years. It's it's the the fun, the entertainment of the team and watching the team. You know, I would much rather draw three three than draw nil nil. You know, we we need United fans need to see teams that they feel are really having a go. Right, even if they don't win every right. game. You know, we're except we've had we've had five years. It's a relative failure, haven't we? we're used to not winning. We used right. to not, to not, Yo, be I was, I was telling this Arsenal
0: thing. fan that we had in the park, So I'm like, look, coming into this season, title talk, not existed. <laughs> no,
1: none. None. I think, I think United were like 50 to one. No, it wasn't 50. It was like 27 to one or something with some of the bookies to, to win the title. And I think wow. that was probably generous to United. You know, I've, I've never, ever, ever. And I'm far too old. Um, my my first united game was 1986
0: Hmm. so oh that was so that was basically right when 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 sir alex joined
1: right
0: yeah it was it was a
1: season before i mean I, i kind of supported them for three 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 or four years as a pretty young kid but that my first live game was in 86 and um so you know, I've seen a lot of United teams, and I've gone into a lot of United seasons, and I've never ever gone into a season with less expectation and excitement and belief as I have this one. Yeah, um, I think, and I think that was in part just due to the fact that obviously City are so just exceptional uh, as a club, just in terms of the way they are run and and the team as well, um, and seeing Liverpool having made really really intelligent additions this summer as well and and just seeing United essentially just being left behind and, and very clunky and and I think Mourinho's behavior over the summer um and the the football that we played in pre-season just really drummed that disillusionment home as well um and it, it's just it's, it's a it's a real shame that the fears that we all had or people had that, you know, because I I hate, I, it's very difficult because I, I've kind of been on this Mourinho's not working for quite a long time and I've been through this process with, with the first, with the other two managers boys and LVG where um, <clears throat> to me I can I seem to be, I feel that I can see when something isn't going in the right direction um, quite early Right It's not just it's not just coming from me. I mean there are there are some other observers and and journalists that I respect and whose opinions I really um often agree with who I I've read what they're saying and I've watched the games and i I've just come to the conclusion this isn't working. With Moyes, that happened pretty quickly in about yeah. the November. With with L V G the, the all the string of nil nils in the in the uh second season really drummed home to me that this wasn't going to yeah, work. Yeah, that one
0: this collapsed was, quickly. It wasn't yeah. working. It was.
1: But with Mourinho, it's taken longer. It really took until the Seville... I had my doubts, I had my worries, but it really took until the Seville doubleheaders to, to really solidify my mind that this wasn't, this wasn't going to work. Um, and, and the problem you have is that if you express that opinion, um, a lot of football fans feel that you have to be blindly supportive of the manager and the club yeah. and mm-hmm. they won't hear it. They won't hear any criticism at all. And social media is a place where, you, you know, anybody can shout at you yeah. at any time. Um, you get an awful lot of stick for that. And it's, and I mean, I don't know. Do you follow, do you follow, um, the chief writer of the independent Miguel Delaney?
0: Yeah. I, well actually, yeah, so, yeah, yeah I know I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got a, a bad rap and he's, a, he's, um, He's been on the on the pod a couple of times. He's A really oh, nice cool. guy, yeah. but it, but he tends to get into um, he, he tends to to bite on Twitter and get into a lot of arguments and
2: man, um, he's seen he quite an, quite like, an abrasive Miguel, guy. On,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's actually a really lovely guy. But he he he's been ahead of the curve on both LVG and um, and Mourinho. Right, uh, certainly ahead of me anyway as well. And he, I mean, because I know him because I've spoken to him and you know I still uh, speak to him semi so regularly and he messages me time time and stuff we we chat about stuff um he 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 took or well, he still takes unbelievable abuse from from United fans about
0: yeah his, his
1: prediction that Mourinho wasn't going to work and and all this this other stuff and he's one of the few journalists he he he, he has to bite back and he argues back and and a lot of people don't like him on On social media because i think he's abrasive and sometimes he can be and sometimes he'll you know he'll 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 say exactly what he thinks you are which you know i wouldn't but 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 he does but but i understand where he's coming from from in, in micro because you know i he's far more high profile than i'm i'm on social media but even as somebody with only a few thousand followers if you you're expressing these opinions when a lot of united fans follow you that it's not it, they don't like it um and, and you get an awful all. you get an awful lot of grief for having an alternative opinion and and it's it's both it's 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 both amusing but also depressing to then see a few months later those same people basically coming to the same conclusions as you after yeah. they've been giving you
0: and, and there's no sense of like for, oh hey rich i know i said all this to you i'm sorry i i know like it's just hey Mourinho ain't working it's like really yeah
1: (laughs) and i think there's just this there's just this this attitude that and and i think one of the one of the important things that people lost distinction was they were basically saying you have to get you get behind you get behind the club you have to just get behind the club and support if you say negative things you're damaging you have to just be behind it and support the guys and and that, that's what you're expected to do as a fan. And there's been a blurring of Manchester United and Jose Mourinho or, we, or whichever manager. They, in, in the minds of many people, they, or a lot of people, they seem to become the same thing. So whereas from my perspective, if I'm criticising Jose Mourinho, it's because I love Manchester United and I feel that he's damaging Manchester United right but a lot of people a lot of people take that as if you are criticizing the manager
2: then yeah
1: you're you're damning the club mm-hmm. um and so you know could it can be a very difficult environment to have um to, to be to be constructively critical about things
0: yeah and, and I, go ahead sorry
1: i was just going to say that we've still got there is there's still a quite quite a lot of united fans and everyone's entitled to opinion. I, you know, I, there are lots of people on social media that I, that I follow that have very different opinions on this to me. Right. But if, if you could have a normal conversation with me about it, then cool. That's, that's your opinion. But it, but from, from my perspective, it surprises me that there are still a lot of people who, who genuinely think that Jose Mourinho is not the problem with this football team right now, um, yeah. with, the, with the way this football team's is playing.
0: Yeah, and from what I see, because I, I think you and I both distinctly remember when Sir Alex was uh, took that mic and said, "Your duty," or he didn't say your duty, but basically, you know, your job is to support the yeah. next manager. And of course, with Sir Alex winning the league, it was Sir Alex who gonna be like, "Nah, you, you we ain't following you, Fergie." And so, even before Fergie, and I think. Something that just seems to have been around for a while. This mentality that no matter what, I must support the manager. I think takes away the ability to have, as you said, those more constructive conversations. Because if the priority is always I gotta back the manager, and then you see someone who's not backing it, then it, it becomes this. It's like you frame it as a war in your mind, and it's yeah. like it's not. It doesn't even have to be that. I mean, even even when Sir Alex was at starting at Manchester United, they, were, they reached a point to where fans almost wanted him out. Well, actually they did. And I mean, we've yeah. seen the signs. And so I think it's very interesting that even after all that time has passed, that these mentalities still are very ingrained. And to me, it comes across as not only as cheap point scoring, also this type of thing where it seems to be really tied to how people identify with their support of Manchester United. Because... It's as if they're saying, "Well, because I'm a Manchester United fan and I back the club, that and like you said, that means I need to back the manager too." It to me, it's it's even though Mourinho definitely puts himself about as a cult figure, to me it's less about that and it's more about this the way that people expect it's the way that people define their their own version of fandom and yeah. what it means to be a fan and especially a Manchester United fan. Because I'm just seeing what I'm seeing on on Twitter. And I'm like, guys, folks, I understand you don't want to criticize uh, Jose Mourinho because you feel like your duty is to be behind him 100%. However, it's okay. It's okay to just be like, you know what? Maybe it's not working. like it's so hard to get to that
1: I think people need to need to work need to work on the basis that we're all coming from the same place or from the same from the same emotion Mm. the one thing that annoys me more than anything is if if you have an opinion a a constructively critical opinion and you'll get you'll get people tweeting you calling you a plastic fan or whatever oh
0: yeah
1: bullshit terms for for people who are lesser fans than, than they are The the reality is we're all coming from the same place. And that is that we all love Manchester United and we all want what is best for Manchester United. And we all want the club, the football team on the pitch to win as much as possible. We all want that. Now we might, we might come at that from different, different directions. And we might, we might frame that love in different ways and how that, that manifests itself. But we do, but essentially we all want Manchester United to do well and from that perspective that is every it's fine for everybody to have different opinions it's really good i mean what what would social media be if we didn't all disagree with each other the problem the problem and we can debate things but the problem arises when people feel that somebody else's opinion makes them inferior or morally inferior or intellectually inferior or whatever else, and it, it yep. and as a, as a result, they deride the person that's that's giving that opinion. Yep. And I've always kind of tolerated that as just something you get with social media. And it's only really been recently when I thought to myself, you know, I, this is toxic. I don't need this. I don't right. need this shit. To be honest,
0: right. and I have started
1: started. You know, I've been on Twitter for ten years, and I, you know, the mm. first time I've started blocking people and muting people, and whatever else, just so I've got an environment where. I've got lots of opinions on my timeline, but all the, but most of the people, all the people that are on there, I know if I say I disagree with you, we can talk about it.
0: Right. Because so, that's the thing. Sometimes
1: I might be wrong. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I might be wrong. Like, you know, I might talk to them and think, you know what, they've got a point there, I'm wrong, and that's cool. Right. And vice versa. Because and that, to, that's that's cool. Because right. we're all fans. We if you go to the bar or you go to a pub or whatever, and you sit down with your mates, it's the same conversation you're having. Yep. Um, and you say about, you know, Fergie, Nearly getting sacked, but they these are the same conversations that people were having with their mates
2: mm.
1: in eighty in in eighty. Well, I suppose kind of the the, the peak was kind of 80, 90, 89, 90 These are the discussions that people were having in pubs, and, and there was a good rationale for Fergie being sacked because right. stuff was not going well. Um, but but th- th- there's often a temptation as well to say, oh, "This is the social media generation where everything everything is everything is." Uh, hyped and everyone everyone has an opinion these are all the same opinions people were having before they're just saying them to different people right in a different
2: right in a
0: different forum
2: right yeah um,
0: yep okay on, that's yours yeah sorry man i'm just i'm really enjoying the conversation because <laughs> <So, laughs> the, the points you're making is so spot on i think the other thing too is i can't remember where i saw it but it's also this aspect where when you're on social media there's less overall cost of what you say yeah you may get muted you may get blocked you may have people come in your mentions it's not the same thing as you being in a bar or whatever and then someone getting in your face or or it's or it becomes a yelling match or you might even be throwing hands there's not that sense of consequence there and because of that it leaves this it, it, it sort of in it leads to this temptation Of people to be like oh i can just say whatever i want to you and it, and and if you don't like it that's your problem and it's like well you don't have to say it and you don't have to say it like that and so for me it's kind of disappointing because when you have adults on this platform that are talking in a way that's just like yo why are you talking like that um it's yeah. weird to me because it's like you you know if you saw someone that you care about Or your child or whatever like w- would you really be happy with that behavior? So no, I understand no. that for some people in this sport especially that being able to s- this feeling of saying whatever you want like it, it it can provide a nice feeling. I get that. At the same time, I think just because we're on social media and it's something I've had to learn as well. I'm not you know I, I, I'm not excused from it. At the same time, like, you gotta realize that unless you're talking with, well, I was about to say talking about bots, but let's not go there. (laughs) But, like, (laughs) but when when you're talking with another person, with another human being, like, why not just say it out of respect? Like, because we talk about Miguel Delaney, and I mean, yeah, there are some things that he does. I'm like, really, Miguel? At the same time, it's like, imagine being in his position where, whether you are talking about Chelsea, whether you are talking about Arsenal, whether you are talking about Manchester United, if you whatever big club you want to pick, you you get people coming to mention saying all sorts of stuff. I mean, I am good friends with yeah. Phillip, and some of the stuff he's told me that he's got in terms of the, the stuff that people say to him, it's abusive. Saying stuff about yeah. oh, I hope your kid dies. It's just like what
1: if you if you look at if you look at when any the the um the, the national the, the british national uh, uh football journalist tweet anything that's vaguely approaching an opinion on something um and then go back to look in their mentions two hours later the sort of stuff that they get it's the sort of grief that they get is just you know it's just absolutely ridiculous that you'd, you know you you'd never ever speak to somebody like that in a um you know in a, in a in a one-to-one human context and most of these guys are really nice guys or well, certainly the the uh the ones that i've come across and spoken to are right. really nice guys and i mean one of the one of the funniest things and i i won't tell you who but there's at least there's at least two um national football journalists in the uk who yeah. are quite high, high profile on twitter who certainly a large portion of the Manchester united fan base consider to be significantly anti-united who are actually both united fans wow um, so you know a, a big united fans as well so you know from their perspective it's, it's quite commendable they managed to keep uh, an opinion that's objective enough that people don't realize who they support you know what that's their, what very their true yeah are. yeah
0: keeping that, that so, sense of professionalism yeah
1: Exactly, but then if you you were to look in their mentions, you'd see that that the stuff they get and the 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 accusations of having an agenda against the club, which happens to be the club they support in real life. But (laughs) you know, I mean, this agenda, this agenda thing is one of the most one my one of the words that triggers me most on on social media. Basically, an agenda is any opinion that somebody doesn't like. Yeah, basically, that's essentially it. and if you stick to your guns, if you have an opinion and then you stick to it, that's an agenda. Yeah. Whereas other people are allowed to have the people who are saying it are allowed to have their own opinions, which will be maybe consistent over a long period of time, but that's just their opinion. But yeah. if you, if particularly if a journalist does it, a journalist, especially because there's a journalism's like any other, uh, certainly football journalist anyway is is like any other. Um, professional environment you have good journalists you have bad journalists you right. have good you have good newspapers you have bad newspapers and good good websites and bad websites and so what <clears throat> a lot of a lot of social media talks about journalists as if they are one amor- amorphous um profession and they're all the same so yeah and so the, the the hatred that they may feel towards um, towards the papers because of some of the negative reporting they've seen that, that isn't fair is then projected onto all the guys exactly. who really are are decent guys. I mean, you know, there's plenty. You know, I don't know, I don't know how much the, the UK press you. you well, read here's on here's the thing, Rich, because I
0: don't know if you remember when I was when I got because the Manchester United came to the United States and it was when Louis Van Hall was manager, and I yeah. got the opportunity to ask Van Hall a question in the press conference. So with that, I got the opportunity to to get a glimpse because I was in the press box as well. I've uh, actually yeah. because of United's come to the u.s. so much i've been in the press box twice now and so i when i when i see people like sam Luckhurst tweeting i'm like haha i've seen you in the press box though so i know how you really yeah. look. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's very small isn't he yeah i'm like yo whatever <laughs> someone's like hold up man where's your facial hair like <laughs> <laughs> But like it, it was the type of thing where it just gave me a whole different perspective of what really goes on. And besides the question that asked Van Hall, like I, I one of the stories that I try and tell people, especially is or one of the people I, I point to is James Ducker. Because Yeah Granted, it was weird sometimes and I guess because it was preseason. That when I'd be in the press box and uh, you watching these guys, you know, some of them would be paying attention to the match, some wouldn't. And then when some they'd be like, oh, what's good? What's going on? But like, besides that, it was the type of thing where like watching James Ducker, especially in the press conference. I, it was, I, I didn't have words for how laser focused this man was on doing uh-huh. what he set out to do in his job. And just and that's the thing that people don't see, you know. And it's not that they need to see it, but at the same time, these guys, especially for the people who take it seriously, like James Docker, they really put their energy into it. And so when you got people like that who can receive all sorts of just weird comments because they may say something people don't like, it's just... For me i i just I, i'm like man i feel for him because while yeah. i've not necessarily met all them personally uh, especially with james ducker like he, he's always come across as just a really genuine cool guy so it's just it's just interesting how people de- i guess they just get wrapped up in their imaginations i don't know because i think didn't you say you studied uh, sociology or something like that like it, it's just very interesting i've
1: studied sociology yeah
0: yeah, yeah, so uh, for someone from like who's studied that, I feel like it's probably really interesting to see because you've seen how people have behaved before social media, before all Twitter and all this and all this uh, hoopla that's built up about. Because uh, one of my favorite authors, Susan Cain, in her book uh, about quiet, she talks about how there's there's been a shift, and she was specifically talking about in America, but how there's a shift from a culture of character and really talking about how, so how someone carries themselves in terms of their character to this culture of personality. And I feel social media really accentuates that in terms of how people really focusing on their persona and appearance and how they come across. And it's this type of thing where you see the way people, especially fans, uh, Manchester United fans, respond to journalists. It's like they feel they gotta respond in some way that is probably when you're looking at their character. It's like, is this really like how you want to come across?
1: Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. I see, Ja I think James is openly a United fan, um, or he certainly admitted to it two or three times on on Twitter. Interesting. But you, you still, I mean, he's one. He, as far as I'm concerned, he's one of the, the best British. Yeah national football journalist and certainly one of the yep. most level-headed as well. Yes, but you know you, could, you, yeah. you can look in his mentions and, and see an awful lot of tripe. And I, I personally don't know how a lot of them um, kind of... I don't know whether they just don't look at it um, because I would find it very, very difficult to... Well, I do find it very, very difficult to look in my mentions and see I'm getting a lot of grief and not take it to heart or mm-hmm. respond or, or whatever else. But you, <clears throat> the, the the British press is... Very, it's 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 very. Um, it, it can be it can be very cliquey but it's also there's also yeah. a huge diversity of characters and yes. I don't know I don't know if the same the same dynamic is there in the US, but but we you know we have the quality the quality papers like the Telegraph and the Times, and Guardian, whatever else, and then kind of mid range papers like the Mail and the Express, and then we have the tabloids. Right the sun and the mirror and to be perfectly honest they're they're comics for children or you know they're written as if they're you know for children Mm. and a lot of the reporting in there is just done it it, it tends to be less accurate and it's just done for uh to sell papers or whatever else and you have a guy like um uh, a guy like neil custis who's the son um who's really he's really funny because he's just the most chippy man in humanity he, he he'd get angry about anything and argue about anything
2: you No, know, <laughs> you know, he, he had a big he
1: had a big run in with louis van hall
2: yeah um, that, oh my that kind of led
1: to that yeah that kind of led to that um that exchange where basically they had a, a bet as to whether van hall will get more points and costis loses pounds um in weight over oh yeah what, I remember, whatever, whatever period was i believe i believe costis lost but you go from from that end where a lot of the reporting is very throwaway i think um it's quite often quite inaccurate mm-hmm. and and he's a really incredibly chippy guy to the guys who write for the quality papers And then in the middle you've got papers like the mail which um in a in a so from a social perspective are quite an abhorrent newspaper mm. um but for, for some reason they they do have quite a few really good football journalists as well right so it's a bit of a <clears throat> a strange uh, contradiction but so so t- this idea that the media particularly in the uk is one you know one amorphous thing is, is just silly and it and also this concept and this is something that Mourinho has um, fostered which is this concept that that the the media is out to get united Right. And to get him. And people and love him. that. Oh, man. They, they absolutely love it. And it, all it does is it riles them up and they go and abuse some journalists, no matter who it is or what they've written or, or whatever else. And football is so, you know, football is tribal. I'm sure sport is tribal in, in America as well. I, I grew up in in an, you know, I didn't go to my f- match till I was 10 because my dad wouldn't take me because of the violence at the time.
0: Wow. And I can remember
1: going... I can remember going to games for probably the first five or six years,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and there always being an undercurrent of violence, or
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, well, certainly at the very least, even if there wasn't any violence, the t- attention that was quite unnerving, quite scary to it to right. a kid.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: my dad had no my dad had no interest in football whatsoever. So I was, uh, was, strange
0: I was wondering about that. You know, like how that that process started for you. Because I know some people say, "Oh, it's my dad or my mom or my family," but I know for everyone's no. story is different.
1: No, I mean there's no there's nobody in my family at all that likes football. Wow, uh, in, my, in, in my in my immediate family, so my my early um, kind of football experiences were just on the television, um, and and I I used to watch a lot of football with my cousins. I had two cousins and. It would, one was a year older than me and one was a year younger, and so we're all kind of around the same age. I even when we're like six, seven, or eight, watching a lot of football on the TV. And at the time in the UK, most people support or a lot, a very large number of people supported Liverpool because they were the most successful team, had been the most successful team for 20 years at that point. Um, even, you know, I didn't, I grew up 150 miles from Manchester, and even where I was, and, and then that area up there that, the vast majority of people are Liverpool fans and I just remember we just sat down with my cousins and we just decided between us when we were about six or seven that we were just going to support a different football team and we just looked at the teams that we saw on TV and I I don't know why I was just drawn to United I like the kit I can remember just really loving the, the red, white and black kit and, I
0: love red so uh, that that was one thing for me <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it can be as simple as that when you're a kid, can't it? If you've got, another yeah, it reference. really so, can. My my older cousin chose Everton, my younger cousin chose Liverpool, and I chose United, and that was it. Um, and then I spent three or four years trying to actually persuade Dad to take me to a game. So that that was that that was really it. It's, mm. you know, again, there's this. There can be a negative perception of fans from that aren't from Manchester, aren't for the locality, whatever, but for a lot yeah. of people. And I can see how this is a problem. In, I can see how this is a real thing in, in other countries as well, th- fans that end up supporting Premier League teams, is that you, for whatever reason, you know, for me, because my family had no interest in football, I had no other footballing point of reference than my television. Right. Um, yep. And it, it wasn't until I was 13, 14, 15, that I started going to lots of different football grounds with my mates. Um, just to see football in different places and see different teams and whatever else but at the point I chose United I had no point of reference apart from what was on TV so um, and I I can imagine that's magnified by 100 when you're in another country because oh yes you you know in in the US I guess you, you know you could be a very very long distance from a decent football team and whatever 10 15 years ago that what that that infrastructure wasn't really even there then you know the mls is a lot bigger now than it was 10 or 15 years ago so if you haven't got any immediate um access to live football then all you have is what you see on your tv and you just have to choose from what you you know from what you see and, and go with that and you know there can be a lot of snobbery amongst football fans to fans who aren't from the town they play in or from you know, particularly the country that they play in, but we're all, we all love the club. We may love it for slightly different reasons and we can't all support in the same way. Right. But it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't make us or our opinions any less relevant. It doesn't make my, I'm no more relevant to Manchester United because I can get to a few games a season than you, than you are if you can't at all. You know, your opinion counts the same. You watch the team, you see the same players, you listen to the same interviews, you, (laughs) You know, the only difference that you get when you go to games is that sometimes you can just see a bit of a different, um, a different perspective on, 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 on tactics and.
2: Oh yeah,
0: for and sure, Spe- yeah, especially when you kind can, of stuff like that. yeah.
1: Um, but you know, apart from that, the rest of it, the rest of it, we're all just the same. We're all we all want the same thing, and um, it, it's you know, it's a real. There, there are so many, so many people from the US and other other countries who will probably only get to go to Old Trafford once in their lifetime or, yep. or never at all and that's kind of like the one of the great days of their life and we 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 may take that for granted but because football's so tribal i think on on twitter people are always one logic just goes out the window on anything um on any any discussion if it's between fans of different teams but also i think people it's people just look for reasons they can um they can put down the opinion of somebody else. What? What else? Why else can their opinion be less valid than mine? Or why else? Can, how else can I put the, this fan of this other team down? And what, so I, I started off in in an era where fans who were tribal and adversarial mm. could and did go and kick the shit out of each other before games, or mm. throw things at each other, or throw things at the police, or whatever to an environment where that doesn't have really happened that much anymore at football. Hmm. But a lot of that, a lot of that aggressiveness seems to have moved onto social media.
0: Um, yeah. That, yep. Definitely. And, and
1: of course there's no consequence. You you yep. can, you can basically throw a verbal punch, but there's no, there's Eggs. no consequence to you, yep. you know? So, so <clears throat> football is football is incredibly emotive and it's incredibly, tribal. And it's very difficult to see through all the noise. And coming back to United, I think that's one of the problems for a lot of United fans with Mourinho at the moment, is that it's very difficult to take a step back and and look at everything in, in the global sense, in in the whole sense, yep. and and think, you know, aside from how what how I feel I should be towards Mourinho as manager of Manchester United, right? Cons- constructively, what is he meeting the requirements of the things that right. we? we're asking for and also if this was a uh, you know it is a good it's a good it's a good measure if this was Klopp at liverpool or Peppert city or whatever pochettino at spurs if they were in this exact same position what would we be saying and i can tell you 99 times out of 100 we sure as shit wouldn't be saying it's the it's the city board or <laughs> it's <the city> <laughs> it's, the, it's 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 daniel levy's fault that the uh that the Spurs, Spurs players can't pass string five passes together and right. defend properly. And, you know, it that, that doesn't, mean, doesn't mean there aren't issues with that. You know, Pochettino's got no players this summer. Levy signed nobody.
2: right?
1: And he didn't, you know, Pochettino's reaction might have been behind the scenes. I'm really pissed off with this. This is no good. And he might have, you know, there might have been some friction. But he's just got on with his job. He yeah. didn't think, I'm going to burn this whole thing to the ground because I haven't got my way. Right. He's just got on. He's got on with the job. That's his job.
0: Yeah, and, I mean and currently they sit third. So
1: Yeah, and he's doing, and, you know and and I think people as well there's always comparisons between United and other clubs and so if Pochettino loses a couple of games, it's look I look at him, you know and, and United want him, do they? They don't really look at the fact that he's got Spurs on a budget which is about a third of that of United. Um, spending very next to no money. I think he's got a positive Net, a negative, sorry, positive net spend over the last or, or since he came to, to Spurs, right. he's gone there. He's bought some players relatively cheaply and he's inherited some good ones, but he's improved all of those players. He's made them but, better yep. and he's made that team no better doubt. as a result. You know, so and, and then if you apply that to to United, Mourinho spent a huge amount of money and he's not really improved anybody in two years. And I think people just struggle sometimes to look, to step back. And that's cool. I don't mind. You know, if they've got a different opinion from me, let's talk about it. But but it, it, it's just those people, I think, who are driven by tribalism, who just, they need to take out some of that mental aggression on other people. That just kind of spoils
0: it sometimes for Yeah, for and, and to me, it's like, it's one thing, okay, if you're a young kid, you're a teenager, maybe a young adult. But one, to me, after a certain point, I'm like, look, you're an adult. You trying to convince me that you can't have some self-restraint? Nah, I ain't buying that. Because, yeah, I get it. You're filled with emotions. You've got a lot of emotions you want to vent out somewhere. Sometimes people choose to do that on Twitter, social media. Sometimes people choose to do that on forums or in other means. My thing is that, I mean, there's a certain point where it's just having a sense of responsibility and accountability for how you behave. I mean, to me it's just as an adult, like I, I don't see what I, I, I understand it takes time. I understand you gotta put work in. At the same time it's like I, I I struggle a bit to be like to be like, yo, like when I when I'm seeing people older than me, I mean I'm not even thirty and older than me and they're just struggling to just have some restraint. I'm like, what's going on, folks? Yeah,
1: in a, in a way, Twitter's or social media's kind of d- done a lot of damage to kind of social discourse and thing and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, we, I mean, we, I, I don't know how closely you followed it, you may not follow it at all, but obviously, Brexit is the big political yeah, issue about, about time that. in the UK. But the 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 discussion of it on social media was it. it
0: after that was, uh, after that so, vote happened with the referendum oh my gosh
1: yeah i mean again i can understand why i can understand why people people have different opinions i wanted to remain and i've uh, i've benefited from a lot of the uh, a lot of the things that have happened as a result of the european union and it's kind of bringing european countries together but but the point the point is that the discourse on social media wasn't didn't ever really get to the nub of the issues and it just ended up being two groups of people shouting at each other or yep. um basically shouting at lots of people who agreed with them anyway you know you, in your echo chamber or, or mm-hmm. whatever else and it, it really did and it also allowed for an enormous amount of um of inc- incorrect information to be to be passed on. oh either. misinformation you know, sort- spreading all over you know, we, we it, it, you saw we saw very similar things in America with mm-hmm. you know with the last presidential election, didn't we? You know, a lot of the the discourse didn't really have anything to do with actual facts or with um with with policy or whatever else. It was just basically two sets of people throwing shit at each other, mm. um, and, and saying saying the worst things they could, and and it it, it it's changed politics and it's changed, I think, sort of sporting. Discourse as well.
0: Oh, big time!
1: Um, and you know, in, in some ways, it's a good thing. I love I love Twitter because, and I spend far too much time on Twitter because <laughs> I love to learn. I love to learn. Me too. Yeah. I like learning. You know, I love to know what's happening in the world right now. I want to know what's happening in ten minutes. I want I want to be informed about everything because um, that's just how I am. I need information all the time, and it's I, I like to learn. I like to always think that I'm learning. I mean, I'm. I got to, I'm, I'm 42 now, I got to 42 years ago, and you just, I just had this feeling that, you know, Christ, I'm not young anymore. But, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I, I kind of said to myself, you know, you don't, you don't know how, how, how long you're going to live from here, because it, I've noticed that since I've been in my 40s, I've started noticing other people in their 40s dying.
2: Or people know even
1: 40 died. and you don't really have that when you're in your 30s or your 20s right. but you just kind of start noticing and i just i just thought to myself i don't ever <clears throat> i don't know how long i'm gonna be here but i don't want to waste my mind and i don't want to waste my days and and whatever else and so i'm <clears throat> if i'm not working or whatever else then i'm um, i need information i need to know what's going on
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and it's really it's really strange i've got i've got um my my partner and uh i've got my own two children but her two stepchildren as well and she's got my two step children one of them is like me she needs to know everything about the world (laughs) absolutely everything all all the time you know she's constantly on social media just reading and learning stuff Mm. and the other one doesn't doesn't give her monkeys she
0: doesn't
1: she doesn't she doesn't have a clue what's happening outside of this house Mm. you know let alone anything else yeah um so i I love i love it because i love information and I, i just love debating stuff with people and in in that way twitter is a really great really great tool in the way that i never really got into facebook i didn't really um haven't really got into instagram or snapchat or any others but but twitter is just perfect and it just gives you if you haven't got a lot of time um but you can learn things very quickly and you can have conversations with people and you can meet some really cool people i've met people off twitter that i didn't know and you know, made friends with them. And it's, it's oh, really yeah, cool. Same
0: here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's you, really awesome.
1: It's great. But you, but, but then the other side of it obviously is that there's an awful lot of anger on there as well. And there's also an awful lot of complete nonsense. And <laughs> it's, it's, it seems to be like this, this constant weighing up of it is does, pos- does the positive, put just the positive side um, outweigh the negative side. Um, and, mm. and you know, football twist is very like that. I've, i thought so often, should I just, should I just leave? Right. Um, yeah, I definitely have some points like that. Yeah. I don't know if you've if you, you've ever listened to the uh, United Ramp podcast.
0: Oh uh, um, yeah, I used to listen to them <clears> a lot, not as much.
1: Yeah, well uh, one of the guys who presents that is a guy called Paul Ansorge and he yeah, was, I've been seeing
0: him <clears> on, like I heard it I saw on the on the T L today that uh he's he's basically like he's 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 like still on Twitter but not commenting or anything or something like that, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he, deci- he. I think he decided a while back to <clears throat> to step away from it, just because. I mean, he is he is amongst. Uh, certainly, the impression I got, because I hadn't met him personally, but he's he he's amongst the nicest people. Yes, I've ever come I've ever come across, and for him, he just felt that the negative side of of Twitter was too much for him because he just didn't want to have that negativity in his life. And I know, I know quite a few other people who've had that similar. Um, come to that similar conclusion and just, and just left. Um, And they, they still go on Facebook and other, other things, but they're just away from that constant sort
2: of
1: stream of both positive and the negative on, on Twitter. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a few times when I've just thought, is this really worth it? Is it really worth the, 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 the flip side of all this? And it's, it's particularly in the last couple of months I've, I've had that feeling just because United Twitter has become so divisive.
0: Oh my it's basically, gosh, it's basically
1: become like, like politics. It's become like political Twitter, whether it be, you know, <clears throat> Trump and Clinton or Brexit and or not Brexit or whatever else it's become. Mourinho has made it so divisive, um, which is the biggest shame for me. And when we knew it would happen, I mean, you know, when, when he was appointed, we knew, we knew what we were going to get. Yeah. Um, and and the point was that whether you want him or not, you accept that if he gets results then you just have to accept the other side of the coin, which is this negativity yeah. and this division that he causes. Obviously the problem is that really after the first the first season, he's not really delivered the results. And he's certainly not delivering the results or the performances now. He's not delivering the trophies. What are we doing? What are we doing here? And right. and the result is the result has been an enormous um split between elements of the fan base and it's become very very angry because the, the more the more poorly united perform the more angry people get which is understandable yeah, right. you know i get you know i said to you at the start i rage tweet um <laughs> i try to i try to rage t- tweet coherently but a lot of it just comes from frustration and, mm. and anger at what's happening to united i mean i, I don't I mean, before we started you you message me a, a little list of um kind of things we, we talk about and you, you mentioned in kind of your fourth point about how sort of how family how I oh, yeah, how you balance your, your time work yeah. and <clears throat> sport time stuff football for me has always been a, a, an escape and an alternative to it <clears throat> to everything else so what i've always i've always worked hard and i've always devoted myself to my family as a older, I've devoted myself to my family I do everything very I do everything very intensely I'm a perfectionist so and for me I, football's always been an escape and particularly when you know everybody gets I think to their middle age and they go through periods in their life which are very difficult for various reasons right um I I had a period of, of illness which went on for quite a long time and um and just like other stuff happened as well It was very difficult at the time and 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 at that time i didn't have any other escapes apart from football right and so it kind of keeps you it, it kind of keeps you sane and it, it's a really good diversion to have if, yep. because you know the rest of my the rest of my family here don't have any anything in their lives which equate equivalence is equivalent to
2: wow. the sort of passion that, that mm. i feel for,
1: for sport or that anybody other football fans feel for their their sport and i live in a house of women so they don't really care <laughs> they're,
2: like,
1: <laughs> they're like they're like we don't really get it we don't get this we don't know why you do it if i every time I why scream, are you shouting shout, it's just what is like, wrong up. <laughs> yeah exactly
2: yeah, totally, absolutely
1: so but the thing is if they went through a similar experience they don't have Anything to fall back on,
2: mm. and football is
1: really important in people's lives. If people, if people, um you know, fo- football was really, really came out of um, the working class. Yep. You know, most <clears throat> most football teams were were, were set up by uh, at, or initially supported by working class people from the, the cities yep. or the towns where they 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 were, and and it was always the working man's game, and it was cheap to get into, and and whatever else, and, and for a lot of People, it was a case of we have to work really hard, and life can be really grim in the week. But at the weekend, we all go to the football, and it's just this wonderful escape. we can spend the week while working really hard and everything's really difficult. Thinking about that three o'clock on a Saturday when we can just escape it all, and thinking about players, and just thinking about everything that surrounds football. And, and I think that still that still rings true for a lot of people. And you know, most 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 of the fans that I know if their team loses at the weekend, then it can screw their weekend. You know, they and, and it, it's ridiculous. If you look, if you step away, like my, if my girlfriend looks at it from the outside, she can't understand how, what happens in a football match yeah. will basically make me miserable for that, for the rest of the weekend. And I'd never take it out on anybody else. I'm absolutely, well, very rarely. I, I always keep it to myself, mm. but you can tell, you can tell that I'm really, really pissed off for this. And, um, you know, if, there's something about there's something about football that is just supporting football teams that really kind of goes deeply to our core doesn't it and it's something that's always with you all the time and i i i I just i love that fact i love that i love that i have a passion which is it it's something else it's an escape from from the other things that i do that that, so you know what working is generally speaking we all do it for money but very few people really love their jobs right you do it you do it because you get money and you can use those things to, for important things to you. I love my children, but parenting sometimes hard, you know, it's sometimes it's incredibly rewarding. Sometimes it's really hard. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's okay for parents to admit that sometimes they get to the end of the day and they just think, Jesus, that was a really bad day. It was really hard work.
2: Mm. I just
1: need to to get away from it. And so for me, football is, is, is an escape. And the, the good thing for me is that my, my, my partner my girlfriend knows that she she doesn't mind you know she just lets me escape to my football watch it and then you know do whatever else I need to do around it i mean you're talking about how balance how how a balance doing a podcast and these things as well and it's just i think it's an acceptance and i'd accept with her as well that that we all need interests that are, that are removed from each other right from the other people in our lives so that we can have some time for ourselves to, to go away and do something we enjoy. And I think it's really important in in relationship terms that, that my, my partner goes, goes out and does things with her friends. I have no interest in at all, but it's, it's her escape from, from that. And my escape is football, whether it's to go to, go to the game or to watch the game and podcast about it or, or or write about it or whatever else. Um, So, you know, it's what, and, and, and but that is why United or, or your football your football team can be so important to a lot of people. For I think for a lot of people, particularly who their lives are quite difficult, it's still that thing at the end of the week that removes them from everything else that they've got to they've got to endure during the week. Um, and even if you're happy, but you're working hard and you're you're working hard with your family or well, your college or whatever you're doing you're working really hard it's great to get to the end of the week or a week night and think right i'm stopping now i'm going to go and do this and invest myself completely in this other thing that that is really important to me um and, and look, i think around my random appointments i can understand why why people get very very angry about football
0: oh yeah for sure on twitter
1: and I, you know i i i do i get re- you know i get really frustrated and i'll often just Tweet storm, and I've been absolutely relentless about Mourinho for the last <laughs> three or four, three or four weeks because because it matters to me, and I, I don't like what I feel he's doing to my football club. I don't like, like the divisiveness. I don't like the way he's behaving. I don't like the football. I don't like the fact that we've got a really good under eighteen, under nineteen team at the moment. One beat Valencia four uh, in their second um, UEFA Youth League game. And they've got, I, I, you know, it's subjective, but I think they've got five players. I would have said in that team in, um, in Chong, in Angel Gomez, um, Ethan Laird, um, Garner, and there was one other that I now forget, I've, and Mason Greenwood. Yeah, yeah, he um, just he, signed a the contract. Of the lot. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly, yeah, and you know, two of those, two of those guys are in their late teens, and the, the rest are kind of sixteen-ish, I think. And for me. I think those are exceptional talents that could, if in the right conditions, become United, you know, first team United players going forward for a long time. I think Mason Greenwood is absolutely ridiculous, right? Um, for his, for his, you know, his, his all round ability is just incredible. I, one of the best um, players I've seen come through the academy for mm. a very long time. But I look at the, I look at the first team now. I look at Mourinho, and I really think he's that guy. Going to take the time and the the potential to to lose a level of performance, you know, in, short, in the short term times for the first team, but actually integrating these guys into the first team. And the answer for me is no, he's not. Right? He's not. He has he's, he, he he has no patience with the young players. He's had no patience with <clears throat> I think particularly this season and last season. You've seen how he's. Uh, how he's kind of dealt with with Rashford and with with Martial, particularly these are the two younger and, and and Luke Shaw as well. Yep, these young guys clearly have a lot of potential, but the difference being that Fergie would have stuck him in the team and kept them in the team, even if they were playing badly for a month or two months. You know, I can remember about people talking about Ronaldo and Rooney the other day, and I know we're talking about the absolute top end level footballers but but ronaldo particularly was incredibly frustrating incredibly wasteful yeah i remember reading incredible about that. erratic yeah his first first three seasons you know he the 2006-7 season he was 21 and he absolutely exploded but before that he'd been insanely frustrating but but Ferg, fergie had trusted him and he'd let him play and he'd let him play through difficult times A guy like darren fletcher i mean people made the point to me and said yeah but those, those guys were really good much better than the guys we've got now and it's true but another guy like darren fletcher i mean i can remember going to games and being mega frustrated because ferguson was playing he's playing darren fletcher on the right of midfield for, a, for a <laughs> yeah. almost the season and then um, and then eventually moved him to the middle and you know he wasn't ready to be a first team player and he wasn't he didn't have that level of performance at the time but fergie just let him have it he let him he let him find himself in that first team
0: exactly and
1: I appreciate I appreciate that Fergie had he had more time he had more patience on his side than Mourinho will but Mourinho has no desire he has no desire to improve Rashford or improve Martial if they have a bad game he drops them and he'll probably say how crap they are in the in the post-match interview and then you know um Rashford scored had a brilliant game against Liverpool last year scored twice Um, from the left wing played the next game against Sevilla on the right wing had a difficult game didn't really play very well but then nobody played very well Um, and was dropped and he didn't didn't play another league game for I think six or seven games Wow! and I just thought you know how how is this kid how is this kid supposed to improve and to put right all the things he's doing wrong if even if he plays well in a game if he has another bad game then he just doesn't perican for right a week. because i
0: saw that on the timeline where people talk about like well you he's got to take that chance but at the end of the day it's like wow you can make that point that well if he wants to play he should take his chances i can see that mindset at the same time to me that is is a different ball game when you're in a situation where Sort of like Darren Fletcher, or where, in, where under Sir Alex, where he's been given a lot of time, and also a type of situation where it, it, you can see the, the manager's giving him chances, and it's not like there's this uncertainty of whether he's going to play or not. I mean, you yeah. can say, Oh, well, he needs to take his chances if he doesn't know what he's going to play. I, I mean, it, and there's a sense of, and then he's thinking, Okay, well, if I don't play well, I'm going to get dropped. I, that that how is that helpful to a player? Because now it's okay. now it's the type of thing where he's thinking to he's probably, he's most likely thinking to himself. All right, I can't make a mistake because if I do, uh, I'm liable to get dropped.
1: Yeah, and that is what the, the result is. The team that we that we're now seeing, where for me, a lot of those players are scared. They're just scared all the time, and I think it was. Um, I may be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure last week I heard the that Mourinho's now changed the team 50 games in succession, I think that may be wrong. I may have heard that wrong, but I think it was 50 games. And that, that makes sense because you get the feeling in every, every lineup that he's putting out, he's essentially just punishing somebody else.
0: Exactly. Um, yeah. So
1: some, somebody's coming in to punish somebody else and it, it's all, you never really understand why they're being punished. It's like, what, what has Fred done? Um I think his last game he scored he's, I think his last game was the Wolves game he scored. Right. And then he's just disappeared. For and what must he cost he cost United 50 I think with exchange rates like 53 million pounds.
2: Mm. He's
1: come to he's come to United he's been uh, he's been decent in the first few games not yeah. blow away but he's he's you know you can see that he's a really useful player lots of energy he moves the ball very quickly he's very technical. Right. He's got a lot to offer and yet for some reason he's just he scores in a game the result isn't necessarily the result we want, and then he just disappears for X number of weeks. Or if you're someone like um, like Diego Dallo, who... I was
0: just thinking about him.
1: You know, who... I mean, you know, he's not played a lot of games in his professional career, but what we've seen from him in, in the, the two games he's played, he's clearly very technically very good. He gets forward, he, he can cross far better than anybody else we've got. And he, you know... I don't for a minute think he's unhappy because he has come into a new situation and um, he'll be adjusting to the to the country and everything else. But he, he, there must be a little part of him that sees how bad Antonio Valencia was on at uh, the weekend. then Then to see Ashley Young brought in at right back to play instead of him tonight and Ashley Young for the third third game at right back essentially just getting absolutely ruined um, <laughs> for the third third game succession and it's the same this kind of the same principle as you might as for Martial or for Rashford to to have seen Sanchez just stink it up for months and never get dropped or not until until very recently never get dropped or and and just brought in after a game out regardless of really what Martial or Rashford or whoever else has been playing there has done and it I think you're just in this you know Eric Bailly just looks ruined to me he came to United a really raw player but he'd been very good at Villarreal and he immediately stood out as having a lot of a lot of qualities you know he's, he's clearly reads the game very well he's a you know really incredible athlete he's um he really needed he needed his edges um Rounding off He was just a very raw player He only played 50 odd games In his entire Senior games In his entire career He just needed rounding off And he had that base And unfortunately He had the two, two Quite serious injuries That disrupted things But after that West Brom game Where he wasn't available Mourinho just seemed To basically Just completely blackball him And the player you see now Is one who just looks Completely broken He looks completely broken As a footballer And He He, he looks more raw Than he did when he arrives, Right. And, and you, you know, he must, he spent all that time at the end of the last couple of months. So well, you can imagine. Hold on one second, Rich. Days. I got to get the
0: door, but keep going.
1: No worries. Um, he spent all that time at the end of last, last season out of the team, wondering, I imagine wondering quite what exactly he'd done. And then he gets the game at the start, start of this season, maybe doesn't particularly play very well. And he's in, he's in and out of the team and he just, you know he seems to be the the, the, the defensive full guy a lot of the time and you can imagine that the the psychological impact that that has on a player over a long period of time it just breaks them breaks their confidence down brick by brick because right. they, they think if i make a, if i make a mistake here i'm not going to play again for another two months um and so and if you if you then apply that you add on the fact that, that Mourinho openly criticizes players after bad games, he'll basically just throw whichever players he decides on the day. You'll just essentially throw them under the bus. They're all absolutely terrified of one, making a mistake that will mean they won't play again for two months. And two, being one of the players that he singles out afterwards um, in, in the media. And then, and then I suspect, we don't know for sure, but I suspect that a lot of these, uh, sort of a lot of these, these favorites and a lot of this, um, kind of exiling that he does probably probably extends into training as well um so you've got this you've got this guy i think the thing with fergie was the players were scared of him yeah (laughs) but (laughs) players were undoubtedly scared of him but one of two things one of one of fergie's great qualities was knowing that he needed to treat every player differently yep and that different players needed different things to motivate them Yep, but they also knew that if they uh that he he would give them time, he would trust them, um as long as he thought they were putting it in. Yep. So so they, they, they knew that 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 he would try he would almost certainly do the best for 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 them as long as you had the talent to do the best for United. Whereas now it just feels like the players are on a on a you know, when you play board games and you spin the wheel, and it yeah. you know stops, it stops somewhere. They must kind of feel like they're, they're they've got their names around the outside of the of the spinning <laughs> thing in the middle, and every day Mourinho is just spinning the, the thing, and every comes up on that's it. They're not going to play again for two months. There's no consistency within the team selection. There's clearly absolutely no coherence in the way the team plays on the pitch. You know, loads of people have said that it's right. There's, you look at Liverpool, you look at um, City, even if you look at Spurs. You know what they're trying to do. You know what their style is. You know, you can see the impact of coaching on the way the team plays. Yep. With United, it just looks like every single game they're all just making it up as they go along. There's no coherence. There's no. Right. There's no obvious. Um. And it and it seems to be like they're all playing inhibited. And if we're coming back to the game today, people, you know, there's a lot of talk on Twitter about players not trying or whatever yeah. else. You saw in the last 20 minutes, if you, if you get enough players in attacking areas and you give the players the ball in the right areas, they can play and they will play and they want to play. What our players often lack is options. They don't have a oh, the, have.
0: There were times, Rich, in that first half especially... Because after he took Baye off and started moving things around and Pogba came deeper, because Pogba usually is the one, the midfielders, to advance into, and to, to get into more advanced areas to help move the build-up play forward. And there was one moment in the first half where I looked and the TV camera showed it so perfectly. You're looking in that midfield, central-multiped area, Pogba's dropped deep nobody nobody no. was there and Ashley Young tries to pay, play a cross field pass that gets intercepted and I'm just sitting there like wow yeah but what a difference
1: did it make getting Sanchez on and getting you in the hole <clears throat>
2: behind. right
1: behind well he actually pushing Lukaku right I think we pushed Lukaku out, out wide but getting betting getting Sanchez and him actually playing that hole and linking the, the back three in the midfield to to the to the to the front three or four around him, and that's you look at you look at the shape of the team so often, and it's just basically three lines or or two lines, and Lukaku forty yards ahead of them. Yeah, and there's no there's no shape. There are no triangles. There's no there's no obvious. You can't really see where there's been any coaching and and work on on the team shape and and where players should be and. You, you look at these other sides and you can see what they're trying to do. But then you look at the last 20 minutes today and suddenly you realise if you flood the areas where those players should be, they can play some really wonderful one-touch football. Oh, yeah. Really, really high-class one-touch football. If you look at Martial's goal, um, the ball's out on the left-hand side. It goes to Martial. He's faced the bo- with a box that's got a lot of Newcastle players back. But he's got four United players in that box. And Pogba comes to him. One of them's dropped to the top of the area. Newcastle players are all pulled out of shape because they're watching different... They're they're trying to mark different players. right? And so it allows him to do the one-two and have enough space at the top of the box to hit the shot. But what you see so often is United players getting in and around the box and there being one or no players in there.
2: Mm.
1: And they're just passing... They're just either chucking it an aimless cross or passing it back and across and back and across. And there's absolutely no... Rhyme or reason to it, and I just, I just, you know, everybody wants Mourinho to work. Everybody wants this to work. I don't want him my 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 preferred option would be for Mourinho to get it right, and that's win. Man,
0: I mean, I'm I'm with you there because for to me that would show an evolution in in what Mourinho's doing to be like whoa. Because that's the thing is we can people can blame the players and say they need to try harder. Javier, a player, and you're in this situation. Most likely, you're at a loss, right? Because the thing is, yeah. at the end of the day, what you go over in training and all the preparation, that's what the manager wants you to do. So, yeah. when it comes to the match and people say, oh, things things like, oh, take the, the game by the scruff of the neck, the thing is, like, it's easy to say that as, as someone on the outside. You can do that and then feel the consequence from your manager. So,. It, yeah, it, it's a type of thing where when we talk about players being scared or whatnot, it's probably because of this uncertainty of 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 because they, they, they don't know. Okay, I could try to do this. I could try to do that, and I don't know what's going to happen. Because again, when you have players playing for their careers, they want to. They they don't want to put themselves in a situation where they're going to get less playing time. So,
1: but they're, tacti- they're tactically inhibited as well, aren't they? Certainly, certainly under Mourinho, they're tactically inhibited. So that that first 70 minutes was him just messing around with tactics. He got clearly the tactics of the start of the game were terrible. And I, everyone could see that. I mean, there was no need to play two holding midfielders against Newcastle. <clears throat> you know, there's no need to put Metomine in there when you've got a more progressive player on the bench. Right. But the, you you could see that the, the, the tactics weren't the shape of the team. The tactics weren't in place where players weren't allowed to, to get into the sort of areas where they could cause damage. And that's, and it and it essentially took him making like he was basically change, playing around with tactics as if he was on football manager for you know three or four times until ultimately he he clicked on, on the right the right blend. But it just showed that if you if you get the right players in the right areas with the right options, they can they can do serious damage to teams. Oh yeah. And it comes it comes back to the why are we pl- why are we playing with what is essentially a relatively average defence why are we playing in a system that essentially puts loads of pressure on that average defense and doesn't give those really effect can be who can be really effective creative goal scoring players at the ball at the right end of the pitch and with the options on the ball to actually do some damage right and that's but we're two in a you know we're two two years and two months in and I'd love to say Mourinho's is going to look at that look at that last 20 minutes and think you know what Eureka we've got players who can really do some damage up there mm-hmm. and, and, and really try and change. But he's not going to change, is he? I mean, ultimately, we've got we've got Chelsea away next. Then we've got <laughs> Juve. We've got, we've got Juve twice. We've got City away in the, in the next yeah. I mean, six weeks or something. C- a couple of other sort of reasonably difficult games. There's no way on this earth he's going to change what he's doing. And it's just clear that what he's doing isn't going to work. Isn't going to work long term, and so if going back to the, the point we we're talking about with the young players and with the style and with everything else, he's achieving none of the sort of essential pillars. of What a United manager really needs to achieve, he's he's getting he's achieving none of them. And in that, um, and given the way also that he, the way he behaves, the things he says, the le- level of divisiveness that he brings to the club, it's that it's it's the, the realisation that this isn't going to work and that essentially he is one of the poisons at the club. Mm. And that, that for, for me, every day, every week he stays, he's just poisoning everything further. And that it's, not, it's not a case of, well, who comes next? Obviously, that needs to be thought about and it would surprise me a lot if the club weren't at least sounding out managers now as they did with Mourinho when Van Hal was there. But at the moment, but and it's a shame as well. With the, we've got two weeks off now with the international break. For me, it feels like he just needs to go tomorrow. Yeah, we need to make the call tomorrow. He needs to go. That in itself will lift everybody. And even if you put in place for a few weeks or whatever, if you I don't know Nicky Bart or Michael Carrick or whoever, mm. they're going to embrace. They can't be doing a lot worse. Start there. Yeah, and they'll embrace the 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 real priorities that there should be of a united manager. So, and it would lift. You know, the, the mood of the squad will immediately lift, and that will make a huge difference as well. And it just feels at the moment like we can't get rid of the Glazers. The Glazers are not going anywhere. They, they're they're only in it for the the, the sale value at the end. Of, of you know of this ballooning asset so they're in a, it's a long term commitment they're not just going to sell there's nothing we can do to make them sell edward ward is making them a shed load of money he's not going to go anywhere but we ha- th- th- there have been noises that we might be looking to start to to put in place some sort of footballing structure right. again we can't impact we can't impact that we can't do anything about that we can say edward ward's an idiot <clears throat> and i think in football matters that would be quite a reasonable opinion but all we can do is just trust and hope that the club will put those things in place but but if it doesn't it's not going to get any worse we're at the pit of where we can get in that situation it mm-hmm. can't get any worse that can only get better and then you've got Mourinho and Mourinho is poisoning everything you know he's poisoning everything on, on the pitch and off the pitch and he can do real damage if he stays um and you know, for me, that's why I focus on that thing because everybody knows the Glazers are terrible. Everybody knows it an idiot, but, but, but those things aren't going to get make, aren't going to damage the club any more than they already have.
0: Right. But Mourinho, can.
1: Mourinho can and Mourinho will. And that's why I'm at the point now where I'm incredibly frustrated and angry because our feelings betrayed everything that United, everything that United are for. And I agreed with Paul Scholes said on, uh, Wednesday I Rio Ferdinand said the same as well. That the way he talks, the things he says, it's not becoming of United manager. Fergie's great thing was he might shout at the players behind doors, but he supported them in public, and they respected him for that. Mourinho isn't doing that. He's 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 poisoning the player. Well, he's playing with the fans. You know, he's the arch manipulator of fans,
2: mm-hmm. and he's
1: doing that now. He, you know, everything he does, everything he says, is for a reason. You know, why did he suddenly start going over and giving his coat out to the fans, or clapping the fans and going and saying hello to them in the end of games? And you know, it, it 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 was made me sad that they couldn't see a lot of people couldn't see that for what it was. It was just, it was just he was manipulating. He was trying to set us up against the club and against some of the players at the club to bolster himself because ultimately Mourinho doesn't care about United any more than he cared about Chelsea when he burned the place to the ground. Mm. This this is a this is a guy who who basically abused. Ava Carnero called her and called her a daughter of a whore, but for doing her job. Then Man, that of, of that was
0: that was to me Mourinho's lowest moment.
1: It was, but but then to, rather than all he, all he had to do was just say sorry afterwards. But rather than doing that, he wouldn't, and he essentially drummed her out of the club to the point where she got an enormous payoff. But not only that, after he left the club, he still didn't say sorry, and he left Chelsea having to go to court for a legal action where he went to court and he still didn't apologize. And ultimately Chelsea had to settle that case for, we never know, it'll be secret, but it will be millions and it will millions of pounds.
2: Hmm.
1: All because Mourinho couldn't say sorry when he'd done something horrendous. And it didn't matter who he took down with that. It didn't matter if he took the team down, if he took Chelsea down, he didn't care Hmm. because, because he doesn't care about anything apart from himself. And the very same, applies to United he might be playing fans off and saying that he's you know he's uh, he's just trying to do the best for the club but he's not he's trying to do the best for Jose Mourinho we've all got self-interest but he's just about the most self-interested man on the planet in in planet football and that's really why I've got to the point where I'm very angry and vociferous about it because I think I think he's hurting United in in a way that those other things aren't doing the immediate damage that he is right
0: Um, yeah, because also for... just go ahead Sorry.
1: so I was, I was just gonna say the only other thing is that' was, and, and I've been starting to kind of fall out of love with the routine of what of of watching the football and and everything else because because it's just been rotten not just results just watching united has been really really hard mm. um, and I think those two things you get to the point where you're just very angry because this thing that you love this thing that you've you've seen be such a wonderful thing it's just basically been um it, it's kind of being sucked further and further down the down the rabbit hole. Um uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I there is definitely something to say about that because when Sir Alex left it was very clear that there was a security blanket that was immediately taken away. However, because of the expectations of of manchester united under sir alex and the the environment that he instilled and the way that you hear how he treated people didn't matter who it was and then he leaves and david gill leaves and david moyes and ed woodward come through and there's just this void and i think for fans it's just been a tough thing from a uh, expectation adjustment process because when you're you being you so used to challenging for the league let alone winning it uh, or even the cup competitions especially the Champions League to then go to a place where in that same season year or, yeah, or right the season after so has left i mean you like you're mid table and yeah <laughs> And then, and then after Moyes and with Van Hall, you're seeing something, some good things happen. And then the second season comes around, and then it's oh boy, it's back to what we've seen before again. And then with Mourinho, okay, first season comes, gets the Europa League, and then after being knocked out by uh, Sevilla, it's uh, things get really nasty again. I mean, there's this yo-yo type effect that's been going on ever since ox' has left that to me it shows the importance i've said it so many times already that it's a case study in terms of how a club transitions let alone any transition but especially how a club transitions when someone's been there for a long time because what ha- has happened since sir alex has left since david gale's left i mean the damage uh just for all of those involved, it's i mean it, I, it there it's just not a healthy environment to be in. I think that's probably uh-huh. the toughest thing for people who have been there for years and have seen the way things have been under Sir Ox and then after i mean the i mean there's been a lot of people that have left Manchester United and I think that's one of the things that people yeah. forget like, there's a lot of people that have left a lot of people that have been associated with the club that um, that people may, if if you're not from the Manchester area or you're just not in tune with the culture, may not be aware of, of of how that can come across. But when you have people that have been there a long time that leave, and they're not leaving in a way where it's like, oh man, like what a great send off. They're leaving because they're 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 this gruntle, they're they're fed up. I mean, that says so much to me because outside of manchester united being a club and representing all these things to me there's always this human aspect of how someone feels they're being treated and then the environment that they're in and how happy they feel and how sad is it that you have people leaving this place that they've enjoyed working for who knows how long and just leaving in terms where it's just it's like you, you almost had a lost for words. I think there was a a guy that we used to work at the old Trafford Museum. Gosh, God, you know. And, and so it's this type of thing where you, to me, I think what Manchester United has lost as is, it's just it's one of those things that I think it, it, it probably won't ever get to that point that we saw with Sir Alex again. Or if it does, it's going to be some time because there's just been on many different levels, a level of loss that I don't think has really been restored in any way. And again, of course we can get back to the Ed and the Glazers for that. And, uh, but also it's just about this, the, 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 the once Alex left, there was just not only the security blanket, but also the culture and just, just a humongous change.
1: But do you know what? If, if, and when Mourinho goes the next coach, whoever that may be, will never have will never have and it could never start united you know, take the united job at an easier time in that very true i don't I don't think expectations have ever been as low as they are now. and yeah. you know we've we've now had uh, well are we five five and a bit seasons of essentially being non-competitive yep. You know, we, we, we're we but we have becoming used to losing. We're becoming used to watching somebody else in the title race. Yep. And the reality is, we're at we're at a similar point to Arsenal, where Arsenal. Yeah, I'm seeing the United
0: fans react is like, wow, this is kind of like Arsenal fans <laughs> used to. It is, know. yeah.
1: You know, they're at the point where their fans don't expect them to be challenging, but they've they've embraced the club has embraced something new. They've, they're trying to they they've, they've they've kind of said to themselves we had this other identity that was very successful, but over a long period of time, it's, it's worked less and less. So we need to find a new identity or a new structure, which, which take, will take us forward. And so they've done that in the way they've reshaped the club and they brought, brought Emory in and whatever. And you can see what the, you can see where they're going. You can see what they're trying to do. You can see what kind of football they're trying to play, whatever else there's, there's a way forward. Mm -hmm. And, I, there's there's a lot of talk on on social media and a lot of people say oh yeah you know, in three years time we'll just be in the same place again but I don't think that's in, as inevitable as is 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 made out for one I think it's perfectly possible and I think ultimately it will happen that United will come round to the idea of um, a football structure beneath Edward Ward. And I think he's already kind of coming to that realization yep. with, with the talk. They're going to employ, it. and I think that will. It might take too longer than it should, but I think ultimately that football structure will be built upon, and it will get bigger, and that that element of things will imp- will improve. But for the next manager, what United need to do going forward is they need to just find a coach who is is true to the ideals that, that we really want. It's true true to the ideals of of, of offering us. A football that we want to see that that provides us excitement, even if we don't win every week, because we're used to not winning every week. You know, we'd like to be better. We think we should be better, but we are used to being not successful. And I think if that if that if we feel that manager is moving in the right direction, however slowly, whilst also sticking to some of the other ideals of the club, then I think we'd accept that. If you look at Chelsea, Chelsea is just about the most. Um, dysfunctional football club in the Premier League. <laughs> um, in the, you know, they've they've got they've got an own owner who um, who has hired and fired and signed and done every light above the manager's head. He's essentially pulled away now because of various reasons. They're not building a new stadium. They suck a manager every couple of years at the generally at the longest two or three years, and yet they continue to go through cycles <laughs> of success.
0: Yeah, it's really and something
1: you've seen. It is, but you but you've seen they've they've come off the back of having had uh, five, I think, five seasons of Mourinho and Conte playing incredibly um, pragmatic uh, football, results based football. There's not been any great aesthetic to it, um, but it's but it's been successful in in, in patches, and almost overnight, you know, very well they didn't have a manager three weeks before the season started. Almost overnight, they've brought Sari in. He's brought in three three players, I think, two midfielders, one on loan, and yeah, one on loan, and and a goalkeeper was essentially replacing a goalkeeper, so you know it doesn't really impact on the on the, the the style of the team. And that team, he he's changed that team in weeks, and they now play very possession based, very technical, very. Um, offensive football just almost overnight from, from being the arch pragmatist to being artists really. Right. And, 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 and stuff can change that quickly in football. If yes. you apply, if you appoint the next man, I mean, you look at, look at Marcelo Bielsa at Leeds. And I have no idea whether that'll work out, but he changed, he took a load of players and the bulk of that team is, is still the play, the British players that he inherited. And he made them play. He makes them play in an incredibly aesthetically, pleasing very um very effective very winning football just just almost overnight so everything can change for football team and the new united manager if there's one thing we've seen this with um marinho and lvg is that in the fir- at least the first two summers he will spend a lot of money for them right and he'll try to pl- he'll try to please them and he'll buy them the players they they need and i've absolutely no doubt that if whoever he brings in his manager will expect a similar amount of money to spend, mm. you know. I I reckon United could, with, with the talent they've actually got, could bring in three players next summer with a new, um, a new coach who who ha- you know has similar ideals, who plays a much more uh, technical attacking form of football, mm-hmm. and be a very very different team and be a oh, very competitive sure. team very very quickly. And that's irrespective of whether the Glazers own us, whether Edward Ward is an idiot, whatever else. So there's no certainty that the next man will be a failure. He'll have relatively difficult conditions to work in compared to some clubs. But if even if you look at City or um, Liverpool or whoever, they've they've missed out. Guardiola's missed out on about he's missed out on Sanchez. He missed out on Fred. Yep. Um, he missed he missed out on Jorginho. Julian Waggles.
2: So
1: you know. Yeah, he's missed out on three or four really key targets in the last two summers. But it doesn't stop him being successful. Liverpool didn't get Nabul Fekir. And, and they've missed out on a couple of others in the last two or three years that, they, that he really wanted. So managers don't get everything they want. They just don't. It's not, it's not That ideal doesn't exist. Right. So, so Mourinho is saying, well, I needed Perisic, having got seven players that I wanted, and then getting Sanchez after that as a sort of alternative to Perisic can't can't really turn around and say i didn't get what i wanted in those first two years mm-hmm. um so you know you face adversity this summer which is right yeah. but the way he's responded to it isn't isn't right but a new manager would get a good a good amount of money they'd almost certainly get three or four players in they could change the style of this united team very quickly and if united fans see the club providing them with, with a product which is entertaining they look forward to on a saturday oh yeah if the team if the team is gradually improving they will accept that
0: oh definitely i they mean will. Yeah. they'll accept it
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know you look, look at the way Klopp's improved liverpool year on year and their fans have had an absolute blast they've really really enjoyed the ride um and and and, and all of the and it's been in this terrible contrast you know Klopp's essentially done all the things that Mourinho hasn't managed to achieve right and they've had a great they've had a great time while we've been kind of dreading the next match because nothing much is going to happen in it right we might lose we might we might win but it's rarely ever very exciting mm. um so so the next man can be successful and also expectations will be really low he doesn't have to doesn't have to give us the moon on a stick he just has to give us su- you know better football and 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 for us to feel we're moving, we're, we're moving slowly in the right direction
2: Oh, definitely. So, yeah.
1: So I really think that if if Mourinho will go because he's in a death spiral, I'm absolutely certain of it. But whenever he goes, I don't think the world after Mourinho has to be necessarily a, a, a terrible place. I think it, it can be a vastly improved place.
0: It, it's going to be really interesting because, like you said, when he does leave, it will just be. I think it will just be this cloud lifting and. Granted, yeah. you know we like we've discussed earlier. You know there's some things that happened with Mourinho where you know things didn't go his way. However, there's still the 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 fact of and especially in in where football is right now getting the most out of the players you have right now, and you yeah. could definitely say he's not helped himself with that. So I think with whoever new comes, and I think what what all, another thing fans forget is for a lot of for, as as long as these players have been playing even before they signed pro contracts you you're in an environments where you are continually trying to learn what someone else wants you to do. So there's this thing that people say, like, Oh, they want to play for the manager. Well, and I mean, the, the way that these players understand is like, look, look, if we don't going against the going against what the manager wants to do is not a smart way to keep yourself in the team. So on some level that this is what they're used to that, they don't. They don't know how long a manager or a coach is gonna stay. So they've just got to basically make the best of the situation they can, uh, and hope for the best. I mean, if people talk about the players doing this or that. Like they, they really don't have that much wiggle room. I mean, what, what leeway do they got? Yeah. Not that much, from what I see. So it's just a type of thing where that's where it really someone said on twitter so well the manager whoever is above the players sets and the coaching staff sets the tone and it's a type of thing where yes maybe you could argue that in in previous times that the more the players are self-driven and whatnot different time we're in a time where these players are looking to the the manager the coach to help basically uh take them to another level And it's the type of thing, as you said, whoever comes next, they're they're in a favorable position because the expectations haven't been lower in quite some time. I mean, I think that the last time expectations were this low is dating all the way back to Sexton. Um, So, I mean, it's a type of thing where what 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 a more couldn't be a more perfect time to come to United. Uh, and people are going to just, and it's the type of thing where, I mean, once Mourinho goes, you, you know, the players are going to be very uh, motivated to show, Hey, look, it, it wasn't us, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, to me, that's one of the main things that, that, why we see that surge, it doesn't always happen, but that's usually the surge that happens is pl- players are playing them for the careers and then also their image. So th- they don't want to look like they're yeah. the ones that, uh, were contributing to the mess. So well, if, plus- you,
1: if you go through if you go through that squad individually and look at the look at the players who've been out it's in the interest of hardly any of them to not to not try.
0: Right.
2: You
1: know why why would they not try? Why you know, why would Anthony Martial want to play for France and you know why why would he not try or you know why would Lukaku not be trying or Again, Pogba. But you know, if if Pogba really these reports, are true. Pogba wants a move to Barcelona. He's not going to get a move to Barcelona in a huge fee by playing shit.
2: Right.
1: None of these guys sure wants a new contract. All these defenders are trying to cement their place at United. None of these guys. It's in nobody's interest to play badly on purpose just right. to get and Mourinho. And you know, so and I think I think that uh, as you say, when a new manager comes in, I think a, a cloud lifts and. As long as they've got new ideas and they're they're willing to play to the strengths of the players they've got, then then I think those players will respond incredibly well to that, and I think there'll just be an immediate bounce in their in in their performances and in their in their demeanors and in in their fear levels because you know all we're seeing and all we're seeing now is a product of players just being very very being tactically restrained but also being incredibly low on confidence and and frightened of. Yep. Being drops again and and on whatever else, so uh, I, I just think by ultimately, if you take away that that dreadful atmosphere and you take away the conservatism on the pitch, an awful lot can change very very quickly. Right. Um, cer- certainly after another summer of of any new manager getting three or four players, if, if his own players in.
0: Yeah, and, and and that's the thing is that there, uh, and I know Richie got to go soon, so I definitely want to respect your time. And that's the, cool. And the, and the other thing, too, is understanding that any time a new manager comes in, it's important that he sees those players as his players. Because once you get the mindset of like, well – yeah, I know them, but they're not really my players. And until I get three or four uh, players like they're not my players, I mean, it sets the tone that y- you don't really care for them. It's like you just, uh, whatever, yeah. it's not a big deal. And I think one of the things that you said about the, the new energy that comes with the, or the cloud that lifts is that for what needs to happen for Manchester United, not only in the long term, but also the short term, especially for the players, is a sense of clarity. Because yeah. if there's one thing that has been missing for some time, it's clarity. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're talking about, what, you say like 50 or 55 different lineups? Uh, I mean, how how is that saying to anybody in the team or in the club, outside the club, where is the clarity, right? And when yeah. we talk yes. about player, uh, uh, coaches like Marzio Sari, Diego Simeone, uh, Pep Guardiola, uh, Marisa, uh, Marisa Pasatino, all these different type of, of coaches, there's a sense of clarity in, in what's going on, and it's demonstrated when you see them play on the, on the pitch. And so for me, it's just that whatever happens post that's to me, that's one of the fundamental pieces that needs to happen because outside of football, having a sense of clarity is just it, it, it helps it helps uh, bring a level of reassurance a level of comfort yeah. a level of peace people are like okay like they may not agree they may not be happy with it but at least it's clear you know it's it's not this like yeah. oh man i lost my glasses in the mud and i'm through like you know like, yeah yeah <laughs> so to me i think that that's really where things need to go the direction that the club needs to go and uh, definitely in the short term because Just more of this uncertainty I mean I'm telling you Like I know Ed Woodward and the club They don't want to lose players like Martial Pogba But If this continues as it is um, I mean even Shaw and other players They ain't going to be around for very long Because uh, The players recognize Ain't a long career So Something's got to give eventually if, if, If 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 uh, if the if things at the club aren't going to work out,
1: you're right. I mean, they're they're obviously all fabulously wealthy guys, and they're they're benefiting hugely, you know, big contracts and whatever. But you know, most whichever top club they're at, they're going to be incredibly wealthy. But at the moment, being at United isn't working well for most of our most talented players. You know, there, there's a core of players which Mourinho might you know, which which often sort of get Get called the the, the passion FC right? or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're um, you you are Ashley Youngs and you're Chris Smallings and guys guys like that who and, and Fellaini or whatever else. These are guys who really aren't good enough or wouldn't have been good enough to to be starting the number of games they started na- now in uh, one of Sir Alex's better United teams. And so they've all got a realization that they are playing at a club which is probably, in historical terms, beyond their um,
0: right. Definitely
1: beyond their abilities. So why, you know, for for them, they, they, everything they do, they need to stay at that club because you yep. know, if they leave, there's no way they're moving to another club that's as big as United. Nope, not it's at all. The only way here so, is now. So so for them, they, their attitude has to be we've got to do everything in, in our power to stay at this club because this is as good as it's going to get for us. Whereas you've got the more talented guys, you've got, you've got, uh, the Marshall, the Alexis Sanchez, or Paul Pogba or whoever else, all of these, uh, just, just generally the, the more talented players that we've got in the squad. And these guys know that if they leave, there will be another very good club or top club that will pay them a lot of money and that they can play at a similar level somewhere else, or, or close to the similar level level somewhere else. And at the moment, you know, United is a bit of a poison chalice for our best players. You know, we've got a guy like David De Gea, who, you know, you know it, we, we all consider to be the best goalkeeper in the world, who has, uh, what you know, he's won, his big move to Real Madrid fell through. But he, he is essentially the best goalkeeper in the world, who is losing years of his career playing for a team which is of little consequence to, you know, the top the top trophies in in right. Europe and the top, yep. top competitions in in Europe. Now he's clearly a guy who is very settled at the club and you know very appreciative of the environment he's in and the the, the fans hold him in and whatever else. But you can understand. I mean, no, none of us could none of us could turn around if Dave De Gea said in in May. You know, I've 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 been here all this time. I've loved being here, but I need to go somewhere else now,
2: right?
1: Because because I can't win what I want to win here. I can't be the player that I want to be here. And the same the same will apply to some of these other guys. I mean, it's quite difficult watching um, someone like Memphis absolutely storming it up at, at Oh Leon, at Leon. yeah. And it's 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 one of the sad things for me is that. We've in the years since Fergie left, of the sort of younger technical players, talented players we've bought, none of them have really got anywhere near actually demonstrating the extent of their potential. And I saw, I saw Memphis play in the. I saw he played in the home leg against um, FC Midtjylland, which United ultimately won five-one. Right, and I appreciate that there was a relatively low. Low no standard of opposition, but his performance in that game was one of the greatest individual performances I've seen at United mm. in the flesh. <clears throat> and, you know, he, he, and it wasn't just that he was playing against poor players, you know, the level of, the level of skill that he was demonstrating, he was doing things that other players couldn't do. Right, And it was so frustrating to me that before that and after that, he never, he was never able to replicate that in what was a quite, it was a very pragmatic system under LVG, yeah. and then Mourinho came in. and Mourinho's no great lover of your technical maverick footballer, and he, you know, he 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 got rid of him, and and now we see him blossoming elsewhere. And I, there there are players at United that I just know if they, you know, guys like guys like Martial, or if Pogba leaves, or if Sanchez goes somewhere else, you know that that they're being inhibited by their environment at the moment. Yeah. And if they go to the right environment where they're given the the, the license to play, and they're in a more um, attacking, offensive system, you know they're going to get you're going to get so much more out of them. And I just, I just one of the other things it feels like the the, the clock is running on keeping these guys at the club and also yes. attracting
2: other,
1: attracting other guys, other players, young players with talent to United. I mean, apart from the money perspective, if you're a, a young, talented attacker, centre-forward, winger, creative midfielder, whatever, why, in the name of God, if you've got options, would you come and play <laughs> for Mourinho's United? Why? I mean, like you you, you know, and the one is going to have no patience with you, and the two, you're very, very unlikely to develop as a player
2: mm.
1: while you're here. And even a guy like Fred's coming, he's, he's immediately out in the cold. I mean, you know, if you, you're looking to you're looking at clubs and you've got a range of clubs you can join why on earth do you know what my latest thing is and I'll shut up now because I've been talking for two hours but <laughs> I Jaden Jay, Sancho has gone to Dortmund mm. and it's, yeah, it's so nice to see these young English kids taking a chance and getting out of an environment which it's often difficult for them to to break into the, and actually play regular football and go to other countries and, and really do it there and Jaden Sancho has been an absolute revelation at yeah. uh, Dortmund and the the great thing about him, he just he's, he cr- he's incredibly talented, but he plays with a freedom and a, and he he makes football look fun. He makes football look
2: yeah. something
1: you can marvel at and you can really really enjoy. And there's this young kid, and you know what? In ten years ago, Fergie would have been moving heaven and earth to sign Jadon Sancho
2: mm.
1: for United. You know this, this English kid who's playing abroad at Dortmund obscenely talented, massive potential, he would have been the guy that we'd have thrown a lot of money at. Yeah. One of the guys we'd have thrown a lot of money at and he'd have done everything he could to get Sancho to the club. As it is, there's no chance, absolutely no chance that happening. If we got to January or we got to the summer, I know he just signed a new contract, I'm just using him as an example, but there's, there's no way Mourinho would want to sign Sancho and then right. get, bring Sancho over and actually give him the time and the patience to and the, the, the scope to to improve himself and to show us what he can and that's what makes me really really sad about where United are at the moment we're not we're not the club that we were under Fergie we're very different to that right? and and, and just those those ideals those ideals are just kind of being chipped away at from both from above and and, and at the managerial level and I, I I really just want to see United go back to playing proactive football and giving young players a chance again
0: yeah and I, and I think I think what you say is very interesting because it's not like it there's a dearth or there's a lack of that happening now and I think that's that's also one of the things that for fans like you probably makes it more frustrating because you're seeing more and more examples of teams playing proactive uh, football and giving players young chances I mean that's why yeah. we're seeing an uh, a more, an increase of English players going abroad because they're like look I'm not getting first team football here I'm going to go somewhere else where they're going to give me a chance and but look
1: at Klopp as well yeah. look, at, look at Klopp and look at Liverpool and he's he started this season he's got Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back he's he's playing with um with Gomez at center back mm. guy he essentially he he got hold of at 18 got a hold of both of them at 18 And he's got Andy Robertson, a guy he signed for 8 million from Hull as left back. And he's taken these young kids and he's trusted them and he's made them better players. And they're, they're going on this journey and they've spent a lot of money on, um, on the goalkeeper spent a lot of money on Van Dijk and he's, he's supplemented. He's brought in these very, very high class expensive players for, for other positions, but he's also willing and able and, and, Focused on giving talented young players a chance to blossom as well, yep. and I, you know, you look at Liverpool, and I hate to say, it as a United fan, but Liverpool are fulfilling all of the ideals that I would love to see at the moment at in, in at United, from the football, from the way that the positive energy, the the positive way that Klopp manages, and the extent to which his players love him for that positivity the positivity and energy they play football with and the fact that he trusts young players if he thinks they've got the talent it gives them the time to to develop in the first team yeah and i you know it's very very difficult as a united fan to look up the road to the team that i consider to be united's biggest rivals
0: right
1: um although some may disagree and see them basically doing and, and they're also on a steady arc of improvement as well cloppy's doing all the things that that Mourinho isn't doing and that's right. very very difficult to, to to look over and see that and and not have a deep yearning for similar things to be happening at United yeah and, and, you know we've we, we kind of feel like we swapped places over the space of like six or seven years Liverpool are becoming what United were and and United are becoming what Liverpool were
0: right and I mean basically the only thing missing for well Yeah, the the things missing for Liverpool at this point are trophies. You know, they made it to the Champions League final, but you know, of course, they didn't make it, and they 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 haven't won the title yet, even though they've they've been close. But point still is that they're they're making moves, and and it's the type of thing where Manchester United definitely not doing that. And I think it's interesting for me because this is a time where, I mean, what really are the excuses for not? Like you said, investing in youth and having a more proactive way of playing—that where you can give you trust players to express themselves and also play where they can still defend. I, I think there is. I have seen like there. I haven't seen too many teams that have played, uh, impre- uh defensively impressive, but I mean you can still have a solid defense. And we've seen that, as you mentioned with uh, Virgil van Dijk, uh, just adding someone that adds some more, some more leadership, some stability there. And I think just one of the things that I, I think, uh, I guess to, to sort of wrap up or getting closer to wrapping up is when I think of Manchester United, and one of the reasons that I think Manchester United will always have a special place in my heart is seeing the history Of the club, and especially under Sir Matt and under Sir Alex, uh, a respect and an appreciation of the working class environment, and that 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 spirit um, that comes from Manchester. And I think when I when I think of clubs like Atleti with Diego Simeone, and you see where these clubs that do special things, especially with um. With that, winning the league the way that winning the league the way they did, and that sense of synergy that's been built there, and it's happening with Leeds United and, and Marcelo Bielsa, it it really shows the importance of capturing the spirit of the people that are there, and bring and yeah. having a football team that reflects that. Because really, what that is is that's bringing us back to the basics of why people got into the sport in the first place, as you mentioned. When it came out of the working class, it came out of the fact that when people show are showing up, it's this not this sense of oh these are guys getting paid lots of money. Not saying it's bad that they're getting paid lots of money, but the point being is that there's a connection there that goes beyond a lot of the a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the supplementary stuff that comes with the, with the sport now because it's more of a business. And I think one thing. Sorry, uh, go. Oh uh, and I was just gonna say, I think it's just. I feel like that element is something that is really missing right now at Manchester United. That I think the fans yeah. would really appreciate. That's where I was trying to go.
1: Yeah, well, I was just going to say that that's 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 another of the things that Klopp's really done at Liverpool, isn't it? Um, you, you, it's not just that he's created a, a, an energetic football team that's that's you know captured people's imaginations. I think it's that he's 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 tapped into the fan base as well i mean there's a there's a, a video um after the in the morning after the european cup final loss and the, he's i think it's obviously a bit drunk and he's with a few fans and they're just singing a derogatory song about sergio ramos i think i can't remember anyway but 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 the point and, it, and, we, and we all took the piss um you know because it was, it was a bit funny and he'd look at this guy singing this stupid song but the point is that he he's not, he's, he's made it, made it his purpose to connect with the fans. Yes. In, in a way that certainly, you know, in a way that we haven't seen at United. And even, I don't even think, I don't think Guardiola's done that at City either.
0: No, he's not.
1: I, I think, I, I think, Clett, I think Klopp has captured the, the, the spirit of, and you're talking that you get, again you're talking about two very working class cities built, you yes. know, on, on the industrial revolution and, um, and, you know, there's still two, two very, uh, very working class cities. There's, there's a lot of relative poverty in the cities. And so the football clubs are still, um, kind of a, a beacon of light and emotional. There's still a strong emotional connection there for a lot of people as a result mm-hmm. of the different, um, different tensions and the, just the different, um, intricacies of the areas. And Klopp's recognised that he's come into a club where there's a certain connection with the with the people of the city, or the fans, or whatever else. And so he's not only he's not only created football which is inspiring. He's he's connected very strongly with the fan base, and that's part of the journey they're going on, and why they're really enjoying it so much because they feel like they can relate. And he's also got he's got a a, 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 a Liverpudlian kid playing at right back. Mm. He's got another he's got another kid who they they bought, but he's he was in the Academy and brought through. And so there's not only, there's not only just this, this team that's on the pitch with all these foreign guys that have been bought, but they've got some connection to, to the city and, and the the Academy at the club and the the city itself. And Klopp's really, really tapped into that, that local, um, that local spirit. And, you know, just the, the the Liverpool fan base. Um, And I, Mourinho is trying to do that in a way in, in that he's, he's tried to tap into the fan base, but he's doing it for his own ends. He's doing right. it to, he's doing it to, to create, um, a certain mindset so that he gets support, which allows him to continue to do his job. He's not, he's not doing it because it's for the best. It's for the good of the whole, right. um, the the club and the team and everything else. He's doing it for himself. Hmm and he, you know he, he takes and leaves the fans when he needs them yep and when he doesn't he he, he walks away and we haven't got that emotional connection to and we're talking about as well we're talking about a game now which has moved a very long way from those working class um, beginnings and right. is is you know that it to a degree a lot of people have been priced out of going oh, yeah. to watch watch the football so um, so it's much harder to to form that connection with the locality than, than it used to be. But Fergie did it at United. Um, and I think he still had it when, when he left at United mm-hmm. and just Klopp has is, is shown you can still do that. And I think it's particularly pertinent in, in two cities like Liverpool and yes. Manchester where, where this, you know, they are very strongly working class, um, cities and there's a lot of, um, you know the people from those cities have very strong identities, and I think they're they're very proud of their cities, and they're very they they want to be really proud of their football teams as a extension of that as well. I was
0: just about to say that I was, I was just thinking oh, that's that right. yeah.
1: So it's, you know, so so again, we we I'm, we're just seeing with you know looking looking across at Liverpool, and it's it's just incredibly frustrating because he's achieved so many things that I would love to be in place at United at the moment, but they just aren't in place. And I know it's more difficult with the Glazers owning United and mm-hmm. that the, the structure is different to Liverpool now and it, it's perhaps a more difficult thing because the club is corporately removed from from the fans. Yeah, But I, I do still think it's possible for a manager to come in and to actually genuinely um, form a, a bond with the fans and create a team which the fans will really feel that they're a part of and that they can really be proud of again and i just right. think at the moment that's that's what united have lost that's yeah. what i feel i i feel that they've lost at the moment and so but it doesn't always have to be like that yeah and if they get the next if they get the next steps right that can really change and it, 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 the next step doesn't have to be a failure is i think is what i'm saying
0: yeah no don't i don't be
1: that. afraid don't be afraid to make a change because the next step might be a failure
0: right because I mean, it might not Am I not? <laughs> hey, that, I mean that I, I ain't got nothing else to add, man. I think that's, that's a perfect way to wrap it up. I mean, the way I'm feeling honestly is like, man, I I keep talking with you for hours, man, but, yeah, I definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand, I mean, it it's getting close to midnight over there. So I, I definitely don't want to yeah. keep you any longer and want to be respectful. So I really appreciate it though, man. This cool. has been a really, really great conversation. Um, It's one of those things where, you know, I come up with some topics and just see where it goes and it's always weird too for me because there's things that you say and I like wanna chip in or Want to kind of add on to it back, like, okay? Just got to keep myself calm here because it's like, oh man, Rich saying some good stuff, but let, let me let him keep going. <laughs> and <laughs> no, I'm
1: all the time, I probably talk too much, but it's been really good fun, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, it, yeah, I just definitely appreciate you taking time out because, I, like, you know, like you mentioned, family and stuff, and with your partner, I mean, uh, I, I know that that that's definitely something that is mean, meaningful to you, and I just appreciate you taking the time.
1: No worries, it's been an
0: absolute pleasure. Yeah. Well, man, it's been good, it's been good, but uh yes, I think it it is a good time to wrap up and uh, folks uh, uh doing this uh podcast uh Football Without Borders and just talking about uh the not only the sport that we love but branching out in different directions and covering many different topics. I mean, we yes, uh, both uh, Rich and I are Richard and I are both Manchester United fans, but you know, we, we can talk about many different things. And, uh, it's just, a it's an honor, honestly, and a privilege to do this and to have Richard on with me and just to, to talk about, uh, where, not only where Manchester United at, but where it, it can go, where it's been. I really re- appreciate Richard talking about that with those working class aspects of Manchester because for me, I think that was something that I've just, just i just remember watching a video of manchester united history uh especially with the munich air disaster and even before then and just the the sense of community that was there and that's been there for a long time even before Alex was there and of course you know the club had its troubles but still there was that sense of community and connection there and i think especially with that with the working class element just adds another level and I think it's just really cool that uh, we get to talk about a club that does have that kind of history. And and even though a lot, not as much now, but it's for a very long time, has tried to respect that. And so, Richard, once again, it's just been an amazing pleasure.
1: No worries. Thank you, mate.
0: Yeah. All right, folks. Well, we are out. Uh, this is, uh, once again... Um, eddie uh you can find me at, at deacon d umana or uh, at fbwob uh, and ladies and gentlemen well we th- are very thankful that i've had richard on with us uh, folk uh if, richard if people are trying to find you uh i'm guessing on probably since you, you spend most of your time on twitter uh what what's your twitter handle so that they can find you if they if the okay so to my connect.
1: handles my handles my name richard can 76
0: all right, cool, cool, cool. All right, Richard, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Um, I know Manchester United did not help make that better, but <laughs> I hope there's something else uh, that, that can definitely bring smiles to you and, uh, and definitely a good a good week for you. And you, mate. All right, much appreciated.
2: Okay. All right.